Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show tonight. It is time yet again for another episode of Brendan and Brandon get together to figure out what is going on with the Seattle Seahawks. I am Brendan. That is Brandon. And we've got a very big show tonight as they all are big. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Lots of action this offseason for being what should be somewhat of the dead period here, huh? Yeah, it's not dead. It's not dead. They do say that football is a 20, uh, you know, 365 day a year sport if you really want to follow it. And this offseason has been even more so that than I'd say a typical year. That's yeah. what happens when you turn over your coaching staff. So um, um, we're, we are going to be mostly talking about ways in which the Seahawks can create uh, salary cap space for the upcoming 2024 offseason which we will need. We are definitely going to need it. As of right now, things are not so standard. Things are not so good. And we got to do some work to clear this space. But uh, before we get there, I want to talk to you about a couple of things that have happened over the last week, Seahawks related, that is definitely going to affect the team one way or the other for this upcoming season. So first thing I want to ask you about would be uh, the hiring of Leslie Frazier. Rare that you see any coach get hired as just an assistant head coach. Usually they wear a secondary hat to go along with the assistant head coach role. Not so with Leslie Frazier. He is the assistant head coach only as of right now. So how are you feeling about Leslie Frazier on the staff? Well, I think it's his, if we're going to make the uh, comparison of Sean McVay to Mike McDonald, he has brought in his Wade Phillips. And he's gotten the guy that can come in here now that has seen it all, done it all, has coached in the league, has been a player in the league, has been an assistant coach, has been a coordinator, has been a head coach. So there's there's nothing that he doesn't understand about, you know, things he needs to be aware of. You know, Mike McDonald doesn't know what he doesn't know. And Leslie Frazier does. And I think that this is the type of hire that was absolutely necessary if you're going to bring in a, the youngest head coach in the NFL now. I know it's trending in that way anyway, where the NFL is just in general terms turning into that, but it still then becomes the necessity of having the older mind in there. I think it's also a little bit of why, in my opinion, I've leaned to saying, if we go with an OC, we need to have somebody that's got, you know, a little bit of an experience there. The more guys I think you can bring in that have a bit of a, a wizened approach and have been around when you have the young guy, the better for him. Because I think a lot of teams make the mistakes, Brendan, of, they get the young head coach, and then they, they put the young staff around him. And so you have a lot of people that are learning their ropes at the same time. So a lot of people learning their first mistakes at the same time. And uh, the thing that we positively can't have here, I think, is, for instance, with McDonald, him having to have attention frayed from what we want him actually concentrating on. And the more guys you can have to take care of some of the things that are the, the minor things, the things that can be pulled off his plate, the better. Yeah, yeah, I, I love the idea of kind of pairing your coach with people who are not quite like him, finding people who are different than him in some capacity. Like when you have this very inexperienced um, head coach, I want to surround him with experience if possible. And Leslie Frazier is a guy who he he's very experienced. He's been around since the 80s, I think, in mm -hmm. some capacity. And he's been playing non-trivial roles on NFL coaching staff since the 90s. Um, I think he got started under Andy Reid in Philadelphia uh, back in the uh, very early 90s. And um, he's been around some stuff that's good. He's been around some stuff that's bad. But most recently, that that Buffalo stint looked pretty good. 
Those were some really good Bills defenses that he was a part of running. And we do know that there's a relationship between him and McDonald. They know each other from, I, I think they spent a year together in Baltimore at one point. Mm -hmm. So there's familiarity there. So it, it's great. I think it's a great hire. I'm into it. And I'm excited to see uh, what it ends up producing. And that Buffalo defense didn't seem to be in as good a shape this past year when he took essentially the year off. There was yeah. a big dip, big dip in their statistical, yeah. what they were across. the. Now I know injuries were a big part of that, yeah. but also I think they just yeah. didn't, they missed his presence as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Von Miller also just turning into a complete, um, complete uh, tackling dummy out there. But um, yeah. yeah, there was definitely some kind of an impact felt there. The bills defense has been elite in three of the last four seasons under Frazier. Uh, the one year they weren't was the COVID year, which was very weird for defenses. I think I, I don't know how meaningful that is really. No, I don't, I don't take much away from that either. That was an outlier year across a lot of things, statistically speaking. So should, mm -hmm. should be looked at as that manner. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. I find it very interesting that he's not also getting the DC job. Now I know the DC isn't necessarily going to do a ton on this team because McDonald's calling plays, but he's going to do something right. So a little I surprising. I don't know, man. I feel starting to feel a little bit like the DC is going to be sort of the third guy. You know, he's going to be in the back of the car when you have McDonald driving and Frazier in the passenger seat and the DC's back there. And they're just like, will you just take a nap? We'll get there when we get there. Take a nap. You know, like it's not giving him the, cause I, how's he going to override those guys' voices? You got the head coach who's calling the plays and then Frazier with his, his understanding of it. Um, one other thing I want to say, that's a really nice mixture between these two guys too, Brendan is you have with with McDonald the the Fangio cover two shell stuff that's that's it's in itself a lot more different than the background that you do have with Frazier which is more of the cover two pure the Tampa Bay two cover two pure you know he was on that Super Bowl staff with the Colts with Dungy that was Dungy's of course right. background defensively so you do get a nice melding here between two defensive ideologies a little bit not that there aren't similarities between the cover two shell and the cover Tampa Bay two obviously it's there in the name but there's there's some differences in how they run it and that the the pure Tampa Bay two stuff's got some got its own sort of rules for how it wants you to play it the, the trailing technique of the corners and all that versus the fangio stuff which has got a little bit more sometimes zone based nature to it with off you know off coverage and going to going to drops into cover threes and stuff at times so nice little kind of marriage between those two a bit there too right so sounds like we're both pretty on board uh leslie frazier is by the way a guy who's been considered for a lot of straight up head coaching jobs recently he uh, almost got the i think the giants job but before uh brian debole got, debole got it Mm -hmm. uh, I, I actually remember he interviewed for the Seahawks uh, before we hired Carol. If oh. I, I actually remember he was in the mix. I don't know how seriously in the mix he was, but I do remember the name coming up. Yeah, he's a bit like Caldwell, where it's every year you the guy you just was considered for all these jobs, you never could get that second that second job. It seemed like right. Uh, so second bit of concrete news we've gotten in the last week would be a little bit of a surprise here. Larry Izzo out as special teams coordinator. Mm -hmm. Jay Harbaugh in as special teams coordinator from Michigan. So I, I know it's special teams and I know it's kind of hard to form an opinion on this until we actually see it in practice, but any thoughts on that particular hire? I mean, uh, Izzo had done such a great job. I mean, it's more mm -hmm. less about bringing in Harbaugh and more about, you know, the, the one real good part of your team last year, the one consistent part of your team overall was the, 
I think the play of special teams, um, absent DJ Dallas having his occasional bar, brain fart back there and returning, it, everybody else was really good. And, um, you know, if you've got a guy like that, I mean, is a new coach so sold on the necessity of bringing in a special teams guy or could he be sold on, hey, this is one of the guys that's best in the league at doing it, maybe we keep him. And that might have been one of the guys on the staff that I would have looked to have retained and hard to see anybody else coming in doing a better job than what he's done, I think, over the past few years with the special teams unit. Yeah, so I, I do recall that special teams were kind of the thing that uh, uh, was giving Michigan problems in that uh, playoff game against Alabama. I do kind of that, – that's the, the – uh, yeah, they had the they, muff. I think they had another problem on special teams too. I want to say you're probably right. There was something there. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, the, it certainly wasn't on bright display and them at their best, you know, in the big show, in the big show. So yeah, a uh, bit odd, bit odd on this one. Maybe McDonald just really has, you know, the love for the love for Harbaugh there, but um, yeah. yeah, I would have, I would have kept Izzo, I think. Yeah. But uh, Jay Harbaugh was the guy who developed uh, Jake Moody, who was a great college kicker. So there you, you know, go. It's not Maybe. all bad. And he's going to get a good Myers year, Myers year next year, right? We we got the bad, the good, the bad, the good. So we're on we're on the good next year. So yeah. we're comforted. Yeah. There. If he doesn't, then he's truly lost, right? If you can't get good out of even year Myers, you're you, you got no chance. No, if you're not getting the because that's perfect Myers. That's like thirty three of thirty four and hits all his PATs Myers. So he's getting that with Dixon's Australian boomers and uh, you know what's there not how, how do you fail in that environment? Yeah, exactly. Seriously, though, the money they they dump on that side, whoever the special teams coach is, you you should be doing a pretty decent job. They they've gone pretty hard at their special teams unit as much as anybody in the league. Right. Yeah, and uh, McDonald is a Harbaugh a John Harbaugh disciple, and John Harbaugh was a special teams coach, so I'm sure the importance of that has been drilled into his head at some point over the last few years. I would I would think so as well. Yeah, that's probably mm -hmm. and Harbaugh's always usually had pretty good special teams units, so the. Yeah. Jim is well on top of John. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of this interesting effect that you get when you have a head coach that has a special teams background. I think uh, I think Belichick was like that too. I remember one of Belichick's things for New England was he always wanted a left-footed punter because the ball spins the opposite direction and mm -hmm. the return men aren't used to it. Like yeah. he always thought like that's going to give me an advantage. I always want a left-footed punter. He, he thinks about things like that and that a lot of head coaches probably don't think about. Oh, it's true. Yeah, that's part of what gave him those, some of those edges. He, he would think about the edges that he could capture other coaches would never consider. Mm -hmm. All right. So other than that, uh, we don't have anything solid. We're still looking for an OC, still looking for a DC. We are probably the only team that doesn't have an OC as of right now because the Saints have already zeroed in on Kubiak. So basically we get to pick from everyone who is left. And um, as of right now, there are three guys that we seem to actually be looking at, although I'm starting to get the sense that none of them interviewed well or else we would have hired them by now. Um, Ryan Grubb of now Alabama. You've got Tanner Engstrand of the Detroit Lions, and you've got Chip Kelly now of the UCLA Bruins who just interviewed, so maybe what I just said doesn't apply to him. But uh, I am getting the sense that Grubb and Engstrand left something wanting in that interview process. Yeah, I think with Grubb, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of the questions you have about him. I I, I think that that were valid, uh, and some other ones that I've heard about him a bit bit maybe valid in some of the outlook of him. That there's some maybe there's a little more room for him to grow as an offensive minded coach to get to the pro level and be pro ready. 
Bing Strand's never called plays. And uh, that's, to me, gives me a lot of hesitancy. We were just talking a second ago about the value of bringing in Frazier and that I don't want to build a staff with a lot of guys that haven't done it before. That, that I've got a head coach that hasn't done it before. He's the centerpiece of having to go through this learning process. I can't have every branch of the tree rooting out. It needs to have its own learning process too. I need some more stability in there of guys that know know what they need to do, understand their vision, have a vision for how to accomplish it, and uh, bing, bam, boom, they get you there. And I, I, I've got to say, in looking at the process and reading the tea leaves, where it's at right now, being that you know Mike Kafka is now has firmly returned back to the Giants, and he's they've given him a new positional title there to give him a little bit of extra, I guess, cheese to make him feel better about getting getting uh, held hostage there. Yeah. That, it, it comes down to me where I see where they're sort of zeroing in. It seems like in on Chip Kelly, where, like you said, I think the interview just happened yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, or within the last two days. So two days ago, I think they're 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 probably they've probably had all their OC discussions, and McDonald and them are probably turning them all over in the ins and the outs, the ups, the downs. And Chip Kelly does give you that guy that is been a coach in, at multiple levels, has been an OC in the past, you know, has that vision and is a divisive hire. Brendan, there's people that it seems like he's this guy that Hawk fans are either really. Yeah. Or Jesus, no, 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 you know, don't, don't do anybody, but that kind of thing. And so it will drive that, but I get the thinking behind it. And that from that standpoint of, I want the veteran staff with some certainty and, I don't know what I'm getting in the head coach. I'd like to know what I'm getting from here. I'd like to know what I'm getting from there so that I can give him that comfortable environment. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm getting the sense that uh, it is going to be Chip Kelly as well. And I don't dread that at all. I just want to put that out there right now. I'm, I'm down for it. I'm ready to go. Like this guy got two top five offenses out of washed up Michael Vick, Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez. Like, like sign me up. Uh, I'm down. Yeah, I I'm the same way as you for the most part on this. I I I've been kind of feeling more just you know I'm not I'm plus or minus, but I I come down to like we just talked about. This isn't in a vacuum, Brennan. You know we don't have a numerable amount of choices of picks out there to go through. There it's gotten pretty lean, and we've got something that's kind of still legitimate in the room in a lot of question marks. And I don't know about this. So if you land on that, I'm okay with it. If we're talking about growth too, because this is a big part for me, Brennan, on coaches is can they continue to grow? Do they come in with the success that they got? This is who I am. And then this is who I'll be 15, 20 years from now. Or do they show an ability to, to you know, expand on more? With Chip Kelly, there's a couple of specific things with him that I think are important for maybe bringing some Hawk fans over to, to being more warmed up to him. Number one, he has dialed back the number of up-tempo he's running at the college level. Um, his org, his UCLA offenses have not been in the, even the top 10. They've not even been in the top 20. They've not even been in the top 30, ex with the exception of this last season, in the number of offensive plays that they've run. I think that that's telling versus what happened to him, of course, at the pro level, Brendan, where you know by the end in 2015, I think his team's had 1,150 snaps defensively ver versus the Hawks that year that only defensively had 930 snaps. So they played a collective three more games on that, um, on that, on that defense, that uh, Eagles defense in 2015. So he's dialed it back. The only reason it went up a little bit this year to 17th, as far as their number of plays, I think was because they lost all that NFL talent last year, right? DTR, Bobo, both of the offensive linemen that were draftable by the, um, I think one was a free agent, but they were draftable guys. And then you had mm -hmm. Charbonnet um, on top of that. So it was right. like, they had, a, they lost a lot of talent. So the year before last year, he had that offense cooking, man. They were, whether you want to use analytics or pure yards or a PFF score metric, they were good in every way. He's also expanded Brendan in two specific spots. 
One, willingness to have linemen that are over 300 pounds. Those Eagle linemen couldn't at the point of attack make anything happen. You know, they, they, they're great for movement. You know, they could do all that Bronco stuff, get them pulling out in space, put out here, but they became predictable in that movement and, and pulling them out in space because teams knew that they couldn't just mono e mono it. What he's done now is rather than it being outside zone, inside zone, he's done split zone now conceptually building that into the offensive attack of UCLA. And split zone, you know, re- inside zone on read option is more of that kind of quarterback still reading it. There's still a little bit of a – it takes a second to get going, right? It's kind of got a little bit – split zone is – we're coming right downhill at you. You know, it's like it's like old school Marshawn Power kind of football sort of stuff. So it's a little bit more now defensively. You can't just sit on there and it being a movement thing. Now we might come down on you. You got to wait that split second before you start getting lateral too with the linemen to try to get to the spot where they're getting on the outside zone or whatnot. So he's done some things to adjust here. It's it's not been right. you know, but I I'm hoping that that does give me some optimism. Yeah, some some people have pointed out that UCLA and UW had about the same time of possession last year mm. on offense. And, you know, it always kind of surprises me that a lot of Seahawks fans don't seem to believe in this idea that people can learn and people can change after failing. When we just went through a head coach who absolutely failed his first time trying to be a head coach in the NFL and came to Seattle and became one of the most successful head coaches in recent memory. Like people right. learn, people are, people go through stuff. They, they realize, well, that didn't work. I got to try to find a different way to do this. And I, uh, Chip Kelly could absolutely be that. I mean, nobody's going to use the middle of the field quite like Chip Kelly. You, you're going to get plenty of that. If you bring Chip Kelly in here and we all want that, I think. It's just hard for me to see Chip Kelly with what he did offensively before and and what you're giving him now, which I think you you could make it a strong argument that you're giving him even going back to the Oregon days and what they had first the competition they're playing on because it's a sliding scale right for the college level. But you're giving him maybe the most talented offense or one of the most talented offenses he's ever had to work with when he gets to come on the scene, especially if how you manage this draft if you get him a couple more offensive linemen. It's hard for me to see that failing. It's hard for me to not see him maximizing at the very least as much as Waldron, if not easily surpassing Waldron in his ability to maximize this talent. And that's where we come down to both me and you on this going, well, I'm whether real plus or just kind of plus I'm over into the plus column of being okay with it because I can get that. That's where I think it will go. And you're right about the whole growth thing. Carol didn't get here to having the success with USC and back with Seahawks because he just happened to roll the dice on this particular hire. And he got it right this time. He got it right because he walked away from those two coaching situations he had with the Jets and the Patriots and said, okay, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to develop my philosophy harder. I'm going to get my things corrected, my co- whatever holes might exist here, and then I'm going to really drill down on this thing and refine it. And that's what he did. And by the time he got it to Seattle, it was a freaking you know, flawless diamond at that point, basically, by how he had um, really, really, you know, like you say, grow and correct and fix and and continue to expand as a coach. Some coaches remain stagnant. Some though will grow. And uh, those reasons I just gave with Kelly, he's shown you a lot of growth here rather than just remaining the same. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what we have with the OC thing right now. It does feel like it's going to be Chip Kelly, I will admit, but I'm still waiting for somebody to come in like off the top turnbuckle out of nowhere, like a Frank Reich, somebody who's, you know, safe and proven, and uh, would probably be really, really good. I'm still waiting. I, like, there's been zero interest in a hire like that, to my knowledge, by the Seahawks. I've been. Some people were wondering with me as if they're trying to maybe uh, zero in on one of these coaches in the Super Bowl and waiting. Yeah, for that actually, to... uh, the Snail just sent in a super chat about that very topic. Thank you for the five dollars, the Snail. 
Um, but who would it be? Because Kubiak's, I think, going to the Saints. So who else is there? Well, you got Nagy, uh, I oh, think, with boy. the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Niners have just, I feel like with the Niners, my my metaphor for the Niners, Brendan, has been that their tree has been plucked so thoroughly over the past few years as far as their coaching tree goes that they might have good talent, but it's like fruit that's still kind of growing. It's like green still, you know? It's like McDaniels, gone, and Robert Sala, gone, and uh, what um, D'Amico Ryan's, gone. Yeah. It just, like, it, it's, and the thing is with those guys pulling from that staff, not only do those guys get hired, but then they hire a staff that's going to pull all of them a little bit from here and there within the Niner organization on that too. So it's what is there really that you can go grab right now you feel good about on that? I, I don't know. And I come back to on whoever we would pick from those those options. I don't think it would be Nagy, but whoever we pick is one of those, he's a passing game coordinator for KC or he's a offensive line coach for Niners, whatever it be. It's going to be a guy that's not called plays at that point. And that's where we come back to me. I've got a lot of hesitation on going that route here. I just don't think it's it's necessarily the best way to go here with this coach and this situation we have set up, especially with the offensive talent that we have in play get a little bit more certainty in what you know you're getting. Right. So, yeah, if it's not Kubiak and, you know, even Kubiak, I, I would have some reservations there, but I, I'd be on board with that. Um, I, I just don't know who it could be. I, I guess I can't even remember his name, but the Chiefs passing game coordinator is getting a little bit of a hype in that regard. But Blameyer, Blameyer, Blameyer. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a weird last name. Yeah, right. I've heard. It's getting yeah. pretty deep in the woods on those ones. I don't know anything about these guys when we get down to like the the Chiefs passing coordinator. Like, yeah, that's that's the extent where my knowledge definitely hits the wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, defensive coordinator, like you said, probably doesn't matter that much. But uh, two names so far, two names. The first is uh, Joe Cullen in Kansas City. So that would be a hire that we are waiting for the Super Bowl to end to make. Mm -hmm. And I like that one. That guy's uh, done some nice work on that D-line the last few years. Um, developed a Karlaftis into a really good player. Gotten good mileage out of guys like Derek Neandi and uh, what's the guy's name? The guy who just tore his Achilles, Omenahu. Mm -hmm. That's right. Niner, former Niner Edge. Yeah. So I like him. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about him. Best season out of Chris Jones last year of his career. I mean, I think that's pretty on the back of what they did last year to get the championship. It's not talked a lot about, but that was including what he did in the playoffs because Jones was a wrecker in the playoffs too, but he got the best season of his career out of him last season, I think. Um, which is saying something for a guy that's going to be a Hall of Famer and an easy, a first ballot one at that. Um, so to your point, has he developed the defensive line talent there really well? Yeah. As he all, you know, they've also been able to do a good job in, in the Chiefs and pressure packages in fronts and and how they, you know, run their pressure packages there. And that's, Maybe Spagnola, but if you remember with Spagnola, a lot of that comes back from with him and the Giants. He's really changed with KC because with the Giants, it was the NASCAR packages in the floor. You know, it was yeah. Kiwanuka, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Tuck and Strahan, and then you you stick all Umanora. four and Umanora and like they that was it was you're just gonna get the front four and then the the drop back into coverage. And so they've the Chiefs have really, especially watch that Ravens game, they were going hog wild with the blitzes, and you go, yeah. okay, well. I don't know if that comes from, does that come from Spags? Is some of that coming from how the line that he's teaching him up on the line and how to attack that? Um, but I'm, I like the hire too. And again, he's such a, he'll be the third guy in that thing. So it's kind of like, he's got to kind of know his place, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think the giants called their NASCAR package a uh, four aces. I remember back when that was a thing, you know, seven, I loved four aces. That was so much fun. 
Forcing a, it's all got a good name. NASCAR, Cheetah, Four Aces. I haven't heard yeah. a bad name yet for the for the third down units that are you're just going light and you're spreading them out. You're putting them all in that wide nine all across the board, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, exciting. Uh, the other guy that has been looked at as the defensive coordinator is Aiden Durd, defensive line coach for the Cowboys for the last three years under Dan Quinn. Any thoughts there? Another guy that's done a lot of good work. Um, uh, Lawrence has come back into prominence with Quinn there and, and done had some really good years, and he's such a complete all-around player and what you get from Lawrence. Um, Parsons, certainly his development, um, that's not a guy coming out of college that was a guy running off the edge and that he already had his bag and his skill set put together. They had to kind of start him a bit from scratch coming off the edge there and how they utilized him, and that's he's from the second he stepped on the field, they, they found impact for it. But They've got lesser guys that they've come through there too with it, Brendan, and and gotten out of as well. Guys that are kind of third, fourth round pick types that they've gotten to be very, very functional up front and and made to work well. Um, Sam Williams, pretty good development from him. I will say, little worried that you didn't get more out of Maze Smith in the first year. Yeah. I, I thought that he was supposed to be a high floor run stopper, and you weren't gonna get pass rush from him, and he was just not kind of good all the way around. And everything you get him on the field, yeah. And maybe that's because they felt so good. But even when he was on the field, he didn't perform. He kind of had a little bit of like the Derek Hall season for a defensive tackle for them, right? Kind of like that same thing. We're like, we thought we were getting a lot more here than we got out of this. And yeah. uh, so I, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember they, a couple years ago, drafted a nose tackle named, I think it was Quentin Bohana. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be a really good run stuffer too. And nothing ever happened there. He was out of there after like a year. Um, and it just seems like they've had an issue finding that, uh, run stuffer in the middle there. Wild, wild. And especially the Mazda, cause I thought he was a very safe guy to be that. I didn't think he was gonna yeah. give you a lot beyond that, but you're getting at least that and probably got to frustrate the hell out of the Cowboys. Cause they're like, this is what we, you know, it's yeah. what we sign. I mean, you take the playoff game, for instance, they have a healthy linebacker, so They got to run nickel against 12 personnel and they're out there, you know, probably hoping be nice for our nose tackle here could maybe create a little bit of uh, some problems for this running game here. So our linebackers don't have to take mm-hmm. on the build. Yeah. That's, that's what Jonathan Hankins is for, you know, yeah, that's right. That's 160 right. useless pounds out there. Just, uh, <laughs> just standing there. Just taking up space. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Odiki Zua has been a good player for that Cowboys defensive line. And he was a guy that has been mm-hmm. developed over the last couple of years. Uh, also worth noting about Cullen, nothing out of uh, Felix and Uduke Uzoma yet, who was a guy I really liked. So I guess both guys have kind of had, actually, now that I think about it, both guys had a high, a first round drafted defensive lineman as rookies this most recent year that did basically nothing. Mozzie Smith on one side and Felix on the other, but uh, they both done some really good things, I think. Yeah, I mean, Karloff just took a year to kind of find his footing, too. Yeah, do, do you think it's concerning that Dan Quinn isn't taking Dirt uh, with him to uh, Washington because he was a Dan Quinn guy his whole career. He was under him in Atlanta, and now he's been under him in Dallas. And now Dan Quinn's just like, oh, see you later. Uh, well, did Dan Quinn hire a defensive lineman yet, defensive line coach? Um, I don't believe so, but I'm pretty sure he's up for a promotion because he's in the conversation for Cowboys defensive coordinator too. So I don't think you're going to be able to get him as a defensive line coach again. But that's maybe, maybe that's within why Quinn's not been able to bring him in there is that he feels like this defensive line coach that he might have options out there to actually Mm -hmm. get a legit DC job. So you know, maybe he maybe he just tells Quinn, you you keep the seat warm for me, and if I can't get the DC job, I'll come out there to Washington. Okay, yeah, okay, I can buy that. 
That would make some sense. Like, like the, I found it interesting that a Dan Quinn guy was in the conversation for DC because I feel like I don't know how much synergy there is between the Dan Quinn defense and the Mike McDonald defense. None, none really. Well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 I, there's some, there's good reliance on cover three principles to a degree, but even that Dan Quinn's gone away from at times, but not, not really. The, the, the Cowboys were just with us last year and that, that the one thing Dan never evolved in that kept with the Carroll way was the, the lack of disguising your coverages pre-snap. There's mm-hmm. none of that in what they do. So I, I you yeah. know, but it's defensive line DC. Maybe I don't, maybe it's more in, in how they're playing that mm-hmm. stuff up front. Right. Uh, I think that's really about it in terms of stuff worth talking about. We got to get these coordinator hires down probably by the time we have our next show, we will probably know who the OC is if I had to guess. So agreed. mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe we won't even have a DC at this point. Like maybe we feel like we've already got the bases covered. We don't need one. I remember there were some Cowboys teams under Jason Garrett that I don't think had an offensive coordinator. Um, So it's not unprecedented. Well, I think especially if, and I don't I haven't heard on this one, but if you're keeping you're keeping Carl Scott, who I like a lot in the secondary, even though I I think he brings something good to play. That's why they retained him. You've got Frazier, McDonald. Um, I would like the other. There's one other guy there. I would love to see them still kind of bring back in. And I'm just I'm spacing out the name for some reason. Uh, BT here. Jordan. Yeah, BT Jordan. If they can keep him back in, I think that that's a benefit to this team as well. And so then it starts to become less the onus on than these other guys you're hiring because you, you built already the real good, strong foundation of a staff to me at that point. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got a couple of donos to take a look at here. Big Patty Daddy, thank you for the $2. You're going to tune in Sunday for me versus KJ Wright. I, I did hear a little bit about this. I don't know all the details, but... Um... What is it? Uh, I guess that KJ Wright and Big Patty Daddy know each other in some way. I guess they used to wrestle each other or something like that. Okay. And I don't know. He's been kind of having fun with KJ in, ad, on, his, on his podcast uh, the last couple weeks. And I, I don't know all the details here, but I'll tune in for it. I'll see what's up. What what's the, are they going to wrestle? Is that what this um, is? Hopefully this is what this leads to if I'm understanding it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's going to be on the show. I don't know if he'll be in the room with him, though. Okay. That's, but, that's you hilarious. Know, you, got, you got to take it easy on him if you do wrestle, and we might need him later this season, right? He's only been out of the league a couple years. You never know, man. Middle linebacker's thin right now. We, yeah. we don't have a will on the roster. Right. So uh, have fun with that, though, Patty Daddy. Congratulations. Get it, Go hard, man. <laughs> Go uh, hard. Just a crappy gamer. Thank you for the dollar ninety nine. What's your honest opinion on Reek after a down year? You you take this one first. Um, I've got a lot of cornerback friends that have played not a lot, but a few, I guess. Um, that definitely have their their opinions about receivers and the mentality of a receiver versus the mentality of a defensive back, and uh, they tend to rip pretty hard on receivers for being pretty soft. And so I have I have a, a worry a little bit with Woolen as a guy that's transitioned from receiver to cornerback, that is he going to have the dog in him and willingness in him to be that tackler that he needs to be? This defense does not protect you. And the modern offenses in the NFL are going to expose you if you are not willing to tackle. And when it comes to to Willen, I've got two worries with McDonald. And I think that I don't think I'm I'm saying that they're going to trade him, but if they were to announce a month from now, a month and a half now that they make a move of Woolen, it wouldn't blow me away because McDonald might look at the tape and say, I don't see a guy that's willing to tackle. And then he's going to look at a guy that plays best in man coverage situations. And you have a defense that leans more to zone 
with McDonald than man. I know people want more man with Witherspoon and that, and maybe, maybe he's willing to do it. The Lord knows his predecessor, Wink Martindale, loved man coverages. So maybe having a Witherspoon and a Woolen will make McDonald lean into having those guys run more man because of that, that he was only doing it essentially with the Ravens because his outside corners were, you know, Darby and, and the like like that, where he had to kind of make it, just make it work. But the tackling is the main problem for me, Crappy Gamer, and I, I think he can potentially fix it. But even a guy like Sherman, when he first came in and it wasn't the greatest tacklers, was the willingness was there. He puts his nose in. He'll put his, his shoulder down. He will give you the effort in the tackle where you feel like he's doing all he can to try to bring this guy down. Versus times like we saw from Mullen last year where you could just see the effort wasn't completely there in tackle, too much shoulder stuff, not enough wrap-up. I hope he can fix it, but that's going to be the key right now on Mullen's career, quite frankly, on whether or not he's going to be a highly paid corner here after three, four years in this league is – because if he can't continue to tackle, then that's going to hurt his value no matter what he does out there in coverage. Yeah, yeah. I um, I feel like we're going to let this year kind of be the rubber match for him because he was not a terrible tackler as a rookie. He regressed last year. Could have been injury-related. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I'd be very surprised if we didn't at least give him a shot, if we didn't at least take a look at him. Because what's his trade value right now, you think, coming off that season he just Third had? rounder. Yeah, see, I mean, third rounder is all right. I'm not that excited for it in this class. I'm not advocating for trading him. I'm just saying that I I can see Mike McDonald turning the tape on and watching as much all 22 as I did. It it was really bad, even away from the play where you can't see on the tape. You know, you can't you, you can watch the telecast and you don't always see what's going on with the cornerback off screen. And I could sit there and watch him off screen what was going on at times. And there's just, there was not only the tackling, Brennan, it's the tenacity to get off blocks. It's to go chase. It's to go rally to the ball. It's all of the parts in the tackling game that you need to bring there to be a decent tackler. And and in every respect, he wasn't there doing it. You know, he was, he was making business decisions. He would, uh, the, the receiver would run the route and he'd act, do that, do this game. Guys do this on the college level at cornerback a lot. I'm watching a lot of co- college cornerback tape and I see this all the time, Brennan, where the cornerback will just take the receiver in the route, but he knows damn well that it's a run play. He knows it's a run play, but he's taking the receiver because he can come back to the coach and he'd be like, well, he ran it like a route coach. So I just took the route. I didn't see the run, you know, the run play and the thing. And there's a lot of that as well uh, in there on the tape with him. So he's got, when I say a lot to clean up here, he's got a lot. And McDonald might just say, you know, give me a guy that can tackle. I, I know I got it in Witherspoon. I want this guy and this other guy. I don't want to teach this guy to tackle. He doesn't want to do it. I could see him coming to that conclusion. Not that I agree with it. Not that I'm advocating, but I could see McDonald coming to that conclusion because it it wasn't great. And that first year, it, yeah, it wasn't as bad as it was last year, Brendan, but there were still a lot of moments in there too where it's just like mm. it wasn't always the best, you know? Oh, yeah. It's still Absolutely. like you're – I got a long way to go with this guy on that. Mm-hmm. Right, so um, I'm I'm still pretty optimistic on Reek overall, but uh, we'll we'll uh, I would not shock me if the head coach doesn't quite feel the same way. I, I will put it like that. I would, yeah, I totally would, totally get it. But I'm good running back. I I think it's he's a cheap guy at this point in the roster. He's really good in certain respects. Got some ball skills. He can take it. You know, so there's there's some things about him there that, that is certainly I'm not down on with off one year at all on him, but. Um, the game is pushing more and more to these corners having to tackle Brendan. More and more, they're getting they're getting isolated out there, and you've got to do it. It's not a matter of like you can just be hidden in the pack, you know, hide behind the the, the pack of bodies and just kind of come in there and, and look. You've got to get in there and put your nose in there, and and that's something that uh, he's got a long way to go with it. Uh, Braun Sausage, thank you for the dollar ninety nine. Hope you guys are having a great day. Go Hawks. Well, thank you, Bronze Sausage. Thank you, Bronze. Absolutely, man. Anytime we get to talk Hawks, it's always a great day. That's right. 
Yeah, Braun Sausage was in my uh, Twitch stream earlier today, actually, and now he's here. So welcome to both sides. Nice. What's up, Bronze? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Chad Hart, thank you for the nine ninety nine. Brandon, hopefully you and Jesse from Last Second Sports do some mock draft stuff. One more thing. I haven't been this excited about the Seahawks since the 2012 and the 2013 season. Go Hawks. Oh, well, thank you, Chad. Appreciate the uh, donation. Um, I'll try to see if we can get uh, uh, Jesse over there to do some mock draft stuff. Hopefully he's not going to be riding high on a Super Bowl championship because uh, I already know we're going to be hearing from the Niner fans endlessly yeah. this offseason if that's the case. But uh, no, that's uh, definitely we'll be doing some, uh, if not pre-draft, post-draft for sure. But uh, we'll probably sync up with Jesse a little bit pre-draft just to see what's going on. You got to keep an eye on the enemy over there. Right. Keep an eye. They're, they're dodgy down there in San Fran. So you got you to watch them. Close right. eye, man. All right. Thank you, Chad Hart. So with all that out of the way, are you ready to hit the main topic of conversation for this show today? Hell yeah. All right. So cap space, salary cap, money. It's a thing in the NFL. It matters. And as of right now, according to Spotrack, and I believe the information on Spotrack as of right now is accurate. If the season were to start tomorrow... The league, or you know, the the date when you have to get to the salary cap uh, limit, where you have to be under the cap, or else, you know, the FBI comes kicking down your door and they come, and they take all your, you know, computers and they take all your equipment. You know, the 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 date where you have to get under the cap by, uh, the Seahawks would be getting raided because as of right now, with the contracts that they have and the players they have coming off the books. Not counting the players they're going to have to draft because, you know, the draft picks get paid. Not counting extensions on any of the players that they're going to want to try to keep. They are about $4,000 over the salary cap. Hmm. So basically call it right at the cap. Let's $4,000 is nothing. You know, Jody Allen reaches into her pocket for dry cleaning money and pulls out $4,000. Mm-hmm. She can get somebody to do a void year for 4,000 if she needs to. So call it basically even right at the cap limit. Yeah. Yeah. That that's uh that's not good. That's not going to be okay. That's not going to work. No, it, it's not ideal. Um, but the one thing that I think that I heard in recent years that I think is very true in looking at salary caps is that it's not about salary cap space. It's about salary cap flexibility. Um, because you can make the numbers appear any which way you want to make on the front end, but where are you really at with the flexibility and the ability to make moves to free yourself up? Um, the saints have been, of course, the poster boy for this for years where every off season, they're $80 million over the salary cap yet. Somehow they still find a way to do business without having to, you know, cut their throat to make it happen. Um, so that's where I think when I look at our cap situation, we're going to go into it, of course, but that's as though it isn't desirable on the surface. It does mean they have to make moves. They can't just sit here and go, we'll just draft and we'll just sign our in-house free agents and we're going to be cool. You got to make some moves, but you're not up against it either to where you can't substantially still help this team out, make some big time signings if you want to. It's all about what the desire is for this team moving into next year. All right. So I have with me a list of 12 cut candidates i have six extension candidates and i have seven restructure candidates there's some overlap because obviously if you don't do one of those things with one of those players then something else comes becomes an option right if you choose to not cut them then you can do other things but 
I'm going to go through them one by one. I'm going to present the numbers, present the uh, monetary figures, and then you and me will try to talk about it. So I'm just going to go through the list. We're going to start with the cut candidates, and um, we'll, we'll uh, go get into whether or not we think this should happen. Ready? Let's do it. All right. So cut candidate number one, and I'm just going in order of biggest cap hit to lowest cap hit. So there's no agenda here. It's just math. <laughs> uh number one is Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. So Geno Smith, as of right now, is on a $31.2 million cap hit for the 2024 season. Mm-hmm. If you release him or trade him, it's the same thing. That's one thing to keep in mind. These players can also be traded, and you're looking at basically the exact same savings. But if you were to part ways with him you would save 13.8 million. So you're still paying him most of the cap hit, but you're saving a little less than half. Now, some people might be wondering what about a post June 1st cut or post June 1st trade with Geno Smith can't be done. His contract becomes fully guaranteed in a week before the new league year starts, which is of course before June 1st. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it is impossible to do a post-June 1st trade or release of Geno Smith. Which so, is why his agent put that in the contract. Exactly. So you could still save the 13.8, but you're not going to be able to split the 13.8 across the next two years. That's the point. Right. So knowing this, Brandon, would you look to release or trade Geno Smith to save this money? No, I would not. Um, he was the 17th highest paid quarterback in last year and probably paid, played right around a top 10 level with what he had to deal with from failing parts, both from a full offensive philosophy to an offensive line to an ineffective run game. Um, and yet he still played at that level. So, you know, the, the dead money hit you would take on this, the savings are not so substantial. Um, it's, it's, doesn't prevent you from running with the roster of going and drafting a quarterback if that's the team's aim and they do fall in love with a guy. So there's no nothing that prevents you there with that. Him being on the roster gives you the best potential success for next year and having success as a team, as he's been a guy that I think you've leaned on as heavily these past two years for some of these successful games and for some of these wins that come from behind victories across the board over the past couple of years. I, I can see no real strong argument for moving on from Geno Smith past. You want to just cut everybody across the line here. You can cut, take this down to a zero hour, reset it, and and then give your coach the opportunity to maximize the cap into next year at that point, which I'm not in favor of doing that, but I would get the philosophy behind that if that was your approach. I wouldn't apply it here. Geno's a guy I roll with, um, and it's a pretty easy decision at this one at that point. Yeah, I agree. And also for whatever it's worth in a week, his 2024 salary is fully guaranteed and he cannot be cut unless you just want to cut him and pay him all his money. Anyway, he could be traded and then you would save the 13.8, but, um, hard to pull off that trade at that time. Yeah. Just a week after the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm going to breathe a sigh of relief if we get past that date and Gino's still on the team, because in my mind, Gino's a top 10 quarterback. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to part ways with that, I want to get something out of it. Something good. Yeah, I'm right. the same way. I don't mm-hmm. want to release him for no reason. You do, right. Have a good, solid reason if you do it. I'm okay if there's a reason. If there's a trade and, and you get it, like, again, if you wanted to, some team in the back of the first round's like, hey, here, we'll throw you a first round. Or, and you got, well, hey, I, I could get that. I'd understand that a little bit. There's some ways I can get it, but just dollar for dollar and 
you know, they're not being another trade commensurate with moving Gino, then you, you hold them in your role. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm keeping Gino. I, I don't think these savings are worth it. Like you're going to take that 14 million that you save and probably you, you might flip it into another quarterback. I mean, what kind of quarterback would you get for that 14 million that you're saving? Like you'd probably, I mean, that, that would be pretty close to what Drew Locke would probably want. If you say you're going to be our starter, right? Like that's uh, in the well, realm. About because what you're going to do is you're going to do the five million contract, and then you're going to give them the incentives like you did with Gino. So it's it'll be yeah. a five million dollar base and like probably five million in incentives. And so yeah, yeah, you end up getting close enough, right? Now you're down to three point eight million savings. That's where we come to like, well, what's the value here? You know, we we go backwards to the quarterback position. We don't really save a lot at that point because whatever you do with Gino and to bring up it's a good point on your part, whatever the next quarterback you have to go get is now added onto that seventeen million dollars of dead money that you're on the hook for with Gino if you move off of him. Yeah, because the rookie quarterbacks that you could get uh, with our pick are probably not going to be day one starters, uh, or they no. shouldn't be. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like if you draft, uh, just as an example, uh, Bo Nix, and he's your day one starter, I don't think that's so good. I, I don't think you're going to be too happy about that. I think he needs to sit for a little bit. Yeah, I don't think you're maximizing your offense, and I think you're lowering your potential of next year competing at that point to a, a big degree. All right, so Gino stays. I think we both agree. He stays. Uh huh. Um, what kind of a trade offer would you need to get from another team to be willing to pursue that as an option? I mean, I got a top 10 quarterback that I'm going to be giving a team who they're off the hook of the bonus money. They're only on the hook for base. So I'm giving them a top 10 quarterback play at that point at like 13 14 million dollar base salary that they have to pay i i think i want a late first round pick at that point mm-hmm. and that's what yeah. I'd, i would ask for um, yeah i've said a second and third which is pretty close in value to a late first but yeah, I mean, we're I, in the right area yeah i i think the same thing i'm not getting a top 15 i acknowledge that but 25 26 or you know second third round early second early third rounder i i could get that too i get i get that as well mm-hmm. okay All right, so cut candidate number one off the board. We're both good with him. Cut candidate number two now. And I think this one's going to be pretty easy. I think we're going to see a lot of amens in the chat here. It's Jamal Adams. So as of right now, Jamal Adams' cap hit is $26.9 million in 2024. If you release him pre-June 1st, you save 6.1, so you're still paying him about $21 million this year. Pretty, Pretty bad, but... That's the reality of the situation. However, there is a potential post-June 1st release with Jamal Adams. And if you do that, you split that $21 million across two seasons. And you're talking now $16.5 million in savings. And then you've got an additional dead cap the following year. The money doesn't go away, but it pushes out. So would you do this one, Brandon? It- yeah, as you said at the top, this is one of the easier decisions to make. Um, Jamal Adams is costing you a tremendous amount of money. You've not gotten the performance for play. I I don't think that he's necessarily. A lot of people make it take it for granted that he's this great fit for Mike McDonald's defense versus Carroll. Because and I don't know that I necessarily believe that. Mm. Um, you do still play a lot of zone defense in this defense. That's not Jamal. I I. I don't think you're going to be blitzing at a high rate. That was not the Ravens' MO necessarily. They stack fronts, but they don't necessarily blitz a ton. 
I, it doesn't necessarily utilize him to his utmost. And then you have the fact that his injury history, you have the fact that his cost, you have the fact that Brendan, you have to make some cuts here. This isn't a matter of if you can do this, if it's convenient for you, you illustrated at the top with a very minimal amount of cap space we have to work with. And remember with this, it is about 8 million. You're going to need for your, for your draft, seven, $8 million in salary out of this cap for the draft. And then you're going to need $6 million in reserve fund. So it's really 14 additional million dollars that you need to create in addition to having no cap space as it stands right now, just to do your normal business, not to sign for agents or anything, just to do your normal business. Well, here's a cut that clears all of that collectively. It gets you back behind the cap. It, it opens up the free money to do all of your normal collective business without having to blink. And again, at that point, it, it finally frees you out of Jamal with the experience there. And so it's this is just, to me, uh, there, there's really a, no argument. There is an argument, but it's hard fetched for me to find an argument that can be made of why you would retain him at this point. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure a safety that actually fits what Mike McDonald wants to do is a safety that's going to be on the field anyway. And um, I'm sorry, there's just not much reason to believe that Jamal Adams is going to be able to be on the field. I'm, I no. like like even I mean, if he was capable of doing all these things, still he's got to be out there to do it. Right, and that's it. That's you. That's the other final part in this, Brendan. Beyond fit and all that and cost, it's the injury thing. Uh, there's no guarantee he ever returns to who he was. This injury's costed a lot of players their career. It's sad, but he's and it's not the only thing with him. You've got the fused fingers. What where where's the groin? How about the shoulders? You know, how about those shoulders that I know back to high school that have been problems for him? So I, I you just can't take that risk. That's for somebody else to make at this point and save the money and and be able to do your normal business without having, you know, to go a different route for a, a wing and a hope and a prayer. So we both agree on that. Now, the question is pre-June 1st or post-June 1st? Post-June 1st. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's the $10 million next year is not going to be as factoring much. This cap is going to continue to go up in the future. And you've got to maximize those savings out for this cap because of where you're at with the cap situation being you have no cap space currently. So it's there, there's there's going to be things that we need to do this offseason more than just standing pat and just running through the, the draft and making our own resignings. You know, we've got to bring in specific players that fit to McDonald's scheme. Mm -hmm. It's going to require some cap space to do it. Yeah, I went back and forth on this one, but I think the way to look at it is that there's no interest rate on this, right? We don't have to pay more by going post June 1st. It's like a credit card that has a zero interest rate. Mm -hmm. And the value of money goes down with each passing year because the cap goes up. So right. you could actually argue when you do a post June 1st release, you are saving money. I agree. That's a great way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's like this year it would cost, um, you know, the pure, like, let's just take that 10 million and split both years, Brendan, to simplify it. You know, it's like this year it would cost at like 12 million versus eight in real functional cap space with the growth next year on the cap. Right. So right. there, there is that difference with it. I also think that we're going to look at a couple of these other guys and the intention here is going to be to be, if there's going to be some cuts that I'm going to want to make. And I think that you do get to a level of eating too much dead space at one point or another to where you can be a good team, but you can't hope to be a contending team if you're going to get into that $40 million, $45 million of dead money space. So if you're talking about right off the rip, here's 20 million to Jamal, before we get to any of the other guys, you're kind of on the pathway to getting there. And that's going to make me think at that point, if you don't have the money to spend to build the rest of the roster up, you won't be able to get there next year. You know, so that's also part of why you don't take that full hit now. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think we're both on the same page with Jamal Adams, 16 and a half million dollar savings. And we're back in the black, just like that. 
that wasn't so hard, was it? Not like easy. This general manager stuff is easy. I don't know why they pay these guys so much. Yeah. Uh Coded Ad, thank you for the ten dollar super sticker. Appreciate that. Thanks, Coded Ad. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So that is cut candidate number two. Now we're moving on to number three here. And this is a potentially painful one. This is not going to be like the Jamal Adams one. This one would hurt, but it needs to be discussed. Tyler Lockett. So Tyler Lockett sitting on 26.8 million cap hit for the 2024 season. Now, if you release him just straight up, you're saving seven. So you're looking at basically 20 million dead like you were with Jamal Adams. However, you can also do post June 1st with Tyler Lockett and save about 16.9 million and then split that other 10 million into 2025. So how are you playing the Tyler Lockett situation? I'm playing Tyler Lockett situation in that I, I don't see the making as much sense to go and make this move at this point with Locke. Um, it, it would be surprising to me. It wouldn't be shocking, but it would be surprising if they did go down this, this trail. The conversion of locks based a bonus this past year has made the savings on this not as significant as they would have been otherwise. And maybe there would have been, I think, a bit of a, a more of an, I think, a decision at that point. But you and kind of moving that base to bonus and bumping this year's and, and the dead money you'd have to eat to move off of them with it um, commiserately makes it to where it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't think you're going to go post June 1st savings on him if you've already done it with Jamal. And again, we're starting because then you're starting to st talk about stacking $20 million of debt on next year's cap. Where again, I think that there's going to be a hesitancy to do that. You know, you're going to want to spread some of this out where you can, but not overload. You're trying to load balance this all the way around, right? Load balance this year's cap, load balance next year's cap, not charge that card too much, Brendan, you know, not, not have too much of a balance that you're going into next year's, whatever the cap does increase. Um, when you look at the receiving core right now, I think it's a really nice receiving core as it's set. And it's set up really nicely right now to allow you to be able to go into this draft and target and lock in on stuff that you need to address and get fixed up on this team. And if you move off a of locket, you're now opening one more hole here of something else you got to go out there and get in this draft or go out there and sign now to bring somebody else in there. Whereas a guy who's been there, done it, has the the, the chemistry and the continuity with uh, Geno Smith and the organization and still had a year last year where I know people bang on him a bit, Brendan, but at the end of the day, his production level has been right about the same place for the last six years. And maybe he doesn't get as deep as open as much, but the bottom line is on statistical production of it is it's kind of, this is what you signed in the contract is what he was doing and he's been doing it. So, you know, why move off at that point? You're getting, you're getting the productivity from it. Yeah, I, I will concede that Lockett is overpaid, making $27 million this year. He is. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you overpay players a little bit. It's not the end of the world. Just It's it's a little bit of an L that you've got to take, but just take the L and just accept that you're going to have an overpaid wide receiver three on your team in 2024 and just you know eat it. And then next year, we can probably save a lot of money by releasing him. I think next year, you're saving like $20 million if you release him. And that's was going to be my point. The substantial savings next year is so much more to wait till that point to do it. Um, it's like seven, 17 million. Um, so yeah, that's, and then remember with this, he's, he's highly paid right now, not because they signed the contract at the time and he's hit year three and it went up to this high water mark. It's at this spot because he converted the base to bonus. So you could free up cap space last year, which pushed the cap, the cast, the cost up this year. And I think that's an important um, point on in this and, and the way to look at it and and why you got to kind of wait that out a little bit longer than for that thing to kind of drain on out just a little bit more in my opinion yeah 
Um, if the new OC rolls in here and he looks at Lockett and he's like, I can't do anything with him. Like you got to cut him. Oh, yak. He has no blocking. Like that's not going to fit what I'm trying to do here. I, I literally don't even want this guy on my team then. Okay. Mm -hmm. But short of something like that, I, I just kind of want to just take my lumps for a year and move on. Yeah. He's overpaid for one year, but he's not a bad player. He's not. No, um, I think that even last year, some of the problems you had were because you were, had him, you put him in some bad situations, like running an out route against Deron Bland uh, against Dallas. Like he looked bad on that play because he ran a bad route, but you probably shouldn't be asking him to do stuff like that. Well, another guy that could benefit highly from being able to target the middle of the field a little bit more too, maybe potentially mm -hmm. um, if you open Absolutely. that up to him. So yeah, I I just think there's it he helps strengthen the core and rounds it out and JSN's gonna flourish and it's perfect because you can kind of acclimate in JSN now is this see if he can do the number two while you have a backup plan there for him. And it all just kind of fluidly works, I feel like, in the transitional state of the receiving core where it's at right now. So I, I like how that aligns up on this team. I think you just you, you roll with it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. If an OC comes in and he's hardlining it, then you you try to move him and be it maybe it's a trade you can even pull off at that point. But right. Um, I mean, would a team like Kansas City be, you know, in on a guy like Lockett for a second round pick at that point, mm -hmm. if they can get him in there? I mean, yeah, you know, well, with get back to me after the Super Bowl on that one. Super Bowl might yeah. determine that one <laughs> for sure. That's for sure. Right. OK, so I think we both want to keep Lockett. I'm not completely closed down to the idea of moving off of him. But if it were up to me, I'd say just, just you know, take the L for one year. Like you did it to yourself because you restructured him last year. Like. Mm -hmm. It, and it's not the end of the world. At least he's a good player. There's a world of difference between Lockett having this cap hit and Jamal Adams having this cap hit. Or maybe even one of the other guys we talk about here soon. So, yeah, I think to me, he's a little different from that list in that, as I say with cup candidates, I have a guy that's providing me value and he's he's doing he's giving me a net result positive in what he's bringing. Then if I'm going to let go of that guy or release him or get away from him, then I got to have a real good reason to do so. There's got to be something driving that decision to happen at that point. Right. Okay. So this next one, I didn't really put here because I think there's going to be much of a discussion. I just kind of put it here to highlight why it's not going to happen and why it doesn't make sense. Cut candidate four for me would be DK Metcalf. $24.5 million cap hit if you were to release him or trade him. You, you would trade him in reality. You would, you would never him. release him. You save $1.5 which I just kind of put here to highlight the fact that uh, congratulations, you just paid for your uh, one of your third round picks rookie salary basically yeah I, the only way you're doing a dk metcalf trade is if you're you're again wanting to uh, get the down to the studs kind of philosophy it's it's we have a fresh guy coming in let's pull everything down and maximize out all of our resources to build him back up uh, with the dk could you get multiple first round picks at this point for him potentially from teams maybe so and and that that could be a draw. Um, it, would they have to give up those goods for us to hit that dead money? That's the thing is if a team moved for DK, they would have to give you the draft capital for the dead money hit you'd have to eat. It's not just then about his talents. It's also the dead money that would have to be sustained by the Hawks. Right. And so um, I it, it won't happen. No DKs here in the future. And he's a great player and we should be super happy we got him. Right. Um, and by the way, there is no post June 1st release on Metcalf either because his contract becomes... Uh, fully guaranteed for 2024 in a week as well so mm -hmm. that's not an option if there was then there would be real savings you would save like 13 million but it's not a real possibility because no. of the way his contract is he just signed the extension not that long ago so yeah it's not on the table no sir 
All right. So we are both on the same page on that one. I don't think there is a different page to be on, though, unless you just really, really are an agent of chaos and you want to, you know, cover the whole team in gasoline and just set it on fire and, you know, be like the 70, the trust the process 76ers, I guess. And so there's people out there that are in favor of it. I've, I've run across them. All right. So cut candidate number five here. This one's a lot more interesting. Quan Dre Diggs. So as of right now, do about 21.3 million, but you can save more than half of that. If you release him, there's no post June 1st here because he's got one year left on his deal, but the savings would be exactly $11 million. So basically go half and half. He gets half. You you save half. And you're looking for a new starting free safety. So what's the play with Quandre Diggs from you? The new system is a pure cover two shell. It's not, it's going to ask not just in kind of like a general fashion, like we were told, we told two years ago, we were going to do this. We didn't make the transition to this more often than not. Quandre Diggs still was in single high center field situations post snap. That's where he ended up. Now this new system is going to ask free safeties, do strong safety, strong safeties, do free safeties that you got to do both skill sets. You have to have both skill sets. Quandre at the end of the year, Brendan started to do some more stuff down around the line of scrimmage in the last couple of games. He started to come up a little bit more than we had seen him. I don't know if they were trying to maybe use more of those, the shell looks at that point, especially once you could have love back there instead of Adams and more, you know, love can definitely play that stuff purely. But Quandre, I think, is at the end of the day, in his point in time in his career, 31 years old, um, he's a free sa- he's a fr- single high free safety. And he probably needs to be at a team that's doing that type of stuff, taking him out of the place of asking him to come up and tackle in the run game as little as possible. And that would lead me to believe that when it comes to this decision, McDonald's going to look at him and say, that's not the type of safety type I need to have exactly. I, I And I mean, even a guy like, um, for instance, that they had that was kind of like a little bit like Quandre and Geno Stone, where you know, playmaker, ball, ball hawk back there. But they limited Geno Stone's snap at, snaps at times throughout last year and, and bringing out other safeties out there to do it just because that tackling ability wasn't there with them. So it's something that McDonald, that's why I say I harp on it with Woolen. McDonald is a coach, is a defensive coach who expects his secondary players to tackle. And if you don't do that, you're, you're going to have some issues with staying out on the football field. Right. So you would say we're parting ways here. We're parting ways. I, I, I look at like that $11 million savings right there is that's Leonard Williams. Would I rather have Quandre Diggs as a free safety or would I rather have Leonard Williams? I mean, that's, that's your, that's yeah. kind of your choice right there. That's your decision to be made. And that's, if you put it like that to me, I'm just like that who's arguing to stay with Quandre over Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quandre has some big time defenders out there still. It's not like Adams. Adams has really nobody in his corner left. Yeah. Um. But but Diggs still has some people who think he's elite. There are people out there who uh want to want, want to extend Diggs actually, which uh, I'll touch on briefly later in the show. But for me, I, I'm just kind of over spending all this money on the position. I'm just kind of yeah. like like I I don't think Quandre Diggs is necessarily bad, but I do think that if he slips a little bit, he'll be heading down the the trek of bad right like well, he's I not mean, far he's, off yeah i mean I, I i don't know if i'd, I'd go bad last year and i, I mean i don't a, a little bit of, of course is going to be the simplification of the scheme but i mean what is he i'm looking right now i think he was in this match to my eyes he's like yeah said what is he 980th or something as far as the uh hold on give me a second here i'm looking it up 
So yeah, he's 87th rated. Him and Jamal Adams are 87th and 88th rated in the league by PFF. And yeah, like, I, I, you can't really toss that out the gate. He had 50 grades across the board in his coverage, in his run defense. So he wasn't even covering well last year. Um, and yet we look at, you know, with Jamal and we go, oh, well, it's, you know, he certainly isn't worth this, this stuff. So well, why is Quandre? You know, what is it? He, he wasn't taking the ball away last year. He's not getting the interceptions. I think he's kind of reached that place, Brendan. I, I think he's he's an, a bit of an older player. He's a little bit undersized. Uh, you know, he's a four, six guy coming out, probably more like a four, six, five, four, seven guy right now, you know, mm -hmm. and like it, there's no reason to spend that kind of money on a guy like that. At that point, he's not bringing any impact to play for that. You can go get that a veteran league minimum guy who will be just floating out there as a wave tier wave three agent free Brendan and get that level of productivity on the field. Like, yeah. So I, I do agree. I do agree. I just wanted to uh, present the fact that there are going to be a couple of quandary defenders out there. I, maybe not here, maybe not in this chat because you know, we, we educate our viewers, but um. that's right. <laughs> I, I get it. And there'll be people, but on this one, I just, I, you talk about past couple of years, maybe you could sell it. Cause okay. Well, he's getting me five, six picks a year. That's something. But when you're not getting those ball skills in there and then you're getting the failures in coverage, which were also solid in prior years. I mean, PFFs beat him on, beat on him a lot for the run defense and that through the years, but he's usually been a pretty solidly graded guy in coverage. And for them to have him around the 55 mark through the year. And that fits to my, my, my eyes where there were some points where he was lost back there in coverage, where he was not picking up routes and slow to react back there in center field at times. So um, yeah, I, I think this is an easy one, save that money and, and get, get somebody else that's going to have bigger impact for that cost. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're both, I think, gonna come down on the same side there. So that's another eleven million. Again, we're we're doing our jobs. We're doing our jobs. We're we're that's uh, right. doing great. We're uh, let's see here. We're moving on to cut candidate number six, Draymond Jones. Draymond Jones. Now, this one is a lot less appealing than it was before when we discussed this because um. Basically, Draymond has another contract that is becoming fully guaranteed as of, I think, the 16th. Mm -hmm. So post-June 1st is off the table for him, which okay. uh, surprised me. So if you wanted to save more money, what you would have to do is wait until after June 1st and then trade him. You could do that and you would save a decent chunk of his contract, but that's going to be hard to do. Doing a post-June 1st trade, tough to make that work. Most teams are out of cap space and they have relatively set rosters by June 1st, if we're being real. Yeah, I, I don't think it's real feasible on top of the fact his value is going to be pretty low for what you'd get back in trade return. Right. So the cap hit is 18.2 million. You release him. And again, you have to do that in the next week here. You're saving 4.8 million. Not great, yeah. but uh, would you do it? No. Uh, unfortunately we don't really know what we have in Draymond either because he had to be the good soldier and get kicked out halfway into the year in the outside. Cause you couldn't trust either uh, Derek Hall or Daryl Taylor to hold up in, in as a run defender off the edge. Uh, so once you lost to Chenna, you know, he had to start making that transition. That was less of him operating inside where he's supposed to be at his best. He may not be worth it. He may have been an overpay as a, a free agent out there, but unfortunately you don't get to really make that determination if you're the Seahawks here, because you told him to go to a position that's not his position that you signed him for. He wasn't at Denver rocking off the edge, and that's what drove you to pay him $17.5 million per year. You, it was that what he was doing in the inside, in the interior of the defense. So uh, he fits to Mike McDonald's defense in the three-tech. Um, he, um, uh, he becomes, to me, your 
you know, kind of your equivalent to what they had in Matabuki. He's done got the size of Matabuki, but they're, you know, I think what you have too is uh, there is a potential here, Brendan, where they may look at Leonard Williams and Mike Morris as your one-two punch there into the future and even ability of Jaron Reed to kick into three-tech. Maybe they do that a little bit more heartily going down this line of cutting him where we're not considering it because they look at the log jam that's kind of created there at the three-tech if you are going to sign Leonard. Because if you sign Leonard Williams, Draymond Jones kind of becomes a backup at that point at his cost. Well, Leonard's a little bit on the older side. Having a nice rotation in the middle there is not the worst thing, is it? I'm fully with it, Brendan. Building up a great defensive line and a deep one to me is a smart move. And um, if if Draymond and them are having their snaps controlled, I'm cool with it. So I, I have no problem. And, and Draymond's a little bit like you've talked about with the savings here. It's like Tyler Lockett. Give it a year, then you get into next year, and you're talking about real big-time savings if you have to move on at that point. As at this point, it's kind of a, a minor amount of savings. Mm-hmm. Right. So I agree. If there were more savings, I might be amenable, but there just aren't. So mm-hmm. you got to take the L a little bit. Maybe you made a mistake last year. Maybe you did with Draymond, but uh, you are you haven't outrun the mistake yet to where you can part ways with it. You might have to live with the mistake another year. Yeah, that's how it looks. Yeah. Uh, Barry Soitoro, thank you for the member message. Member for 22 months. Hawks got to be the mohol and cut Diggs and Adams. I'm not, I think Mohol is a typo of some kind. I'm not sure what he's trying to get at there. Mogul, maybe? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Motive. I don't know, but I agree. Diggs and Adams, um, you know, just just uh, got to stop spending so much money at that position. It, it's been about as big a disaster as it can be, trying to make that the prioritized position. Yeah, Barry, they took a they took a, an approach to this of we'll be forward thinking we're going to do something other teams across the league aren't doing. And that's nothing wrong with zigging when everyone else is zagging. But sometimes there's hard and fast rules in the NFL for how positions are paid and how teams approach certain positions. And it's that way for a reason. And when 31 other NFL teams are saying we're not dumping anywhere close to that amount of money to the safety position, it should be a bit of an indicator to you as a franchise that we've got to we've got to pivot off this and we've got to move off of this, and especially when you didn't have success utilizing it. You know, especially when there was you trying this for two years and your defense is piss poor, league worst. It's it's not showing any signs of working in the slightest. So it's you come back to it and you and I agree with you on Brendan Diggs is still not a bad player, but I think he's getting close to getting old, and it's I, I think that he's not necessarily the same player he was when we first got him four years ago. And if that's the case, we don't need to be paying top 10, top five safety prices for these guys if that's who they are as players. And I just, that's the bottom line. If I'm paying that price, I need to get the production out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree with that. And thank you, Barry. Uh, we also have Daniel Bailey. Thank you for the 499. It hurts to know we could have gotten Brian Branch overhaul in the beginning of the second. I am curious how he would have fit in McDonald's defense. Now, I love Brian Branch, so I am not going to argue with that too much. Branch would have been the Hamilton in the defense. That would have been his role, um, where you have him all over the place, a little bit of say, a little bit of safety, a little bit of slot, a little bit like a Sam linebacker at times up near the line of scrimmage, so a bit positionless, but able to do everything. I mean, he can tackle, he can cover, he can take away the ball, and he's in. And so, you know, he's got a lot of similarities, I think, in his game. He's a smaller version of Hamilton. Hamilton's a little bit bigger size, maybe a little bit better of a. But even Branch came out was one of the better tacklers from the defensive back position in his draft. He might have been the best one coming out the year he came out. So. 
he's got a great skill set. I'm with you, Daniel. I've loved Brian from from day one of the Alabama tape, taking a look at him, and uh, he gave him a solid season with Detroit. Had I think a bit of an injury early on that didn't give him let him have the real full impact he'll have probably next year when he gets out there and really rolls. But I I could have uh, I would have been open to doing that too. You know, you would have been nice then where you you know the one thing is with that is then you would have gotten more Witherspoon outside outside corner kind of position because Branch would have probably fit into the slot. But yeah. that wouldn't have been bad. Yeah. Um, last offseason, when we restructured Adams and Diggs, I think we were thinking they're going to be here another two years. I, I, I think that was the plan. That's why you didn't look at safety so much in draft. But um, if we knew then that Adams and Diggs were going to get to this point where it just seems like you're just going to have to eat it and move on, I, I think maybe a guy like a Brian Branch would have been far more likely. Yeah. I think it also goes to show where you miss picks and miss spots on guys that where it just it carries downstream and it affects you on bad decisions in other places too, Brendan, because you have the uh, the Derek Hall selection happens because you don't trust Daryl Taylor and you don't trust Daryl Taylor because you missed on that pick from years ago, right? Because you have Uchenna, you got Boye. You, on the face of this, you've got a solid edges as your starters coming into this year. But you go to Derek Hall in the second round because we know that they knew who Daryl Taylor was at that point. They knew we can't rely him in as the number three. We need another number three. We need another, another guy, first guy off the bench who can get this done here. And so one bad pick begets this that misses you out on that, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. So cut candidate number seven next up here. This is another one that's, uh, I think, going to warrant some serious discussion. Will Disley, tight end Will Disley, dude, $10.1 million this year, but you save almost 70% of that cap hit if you release him. So are you letting Will Disley go to save that $7 million? No, I'm not. I uh, I think I've seen to be one of the main benefactors of uh, Disley out there and being willing to bring um, willing to bring him back into the into the spectrum here. Uh, your top five cap hits for next year for tight end are George Kittle at uh, almost twenty-two million dollars, Mark Andrews at sixteen million dollars, Taysom Hill at sixteen million. If you want to call him a tight end, Travis Kelsey at fifteen million. Um, Dawson Knox at 14.3. My point on this, Brendan, is that it's not like he's sitting up there at, at one of the top height of heights guys up there in, in what he's being paid. There's other guys, he's what maybe the ninth, 10th, 11th most highest paid tight end in the league. It's a little bit like Lockett where maybe you are a little bit overpaying him. It's not a gross overpayment. It's not some insane amount of more money you're paying dizzily for, for what's going on there. Um, and and though he gets beat on a lot by the fans, like, well, we're paying for for ten million. He had a he's the seventeenth rated tight end by PFF. He's if you look at the PFF scores on a weekly basis, he's by a weekly basis one of your top five guys. Oftentimes, as far as his scores go, and it's because he does everything really solidly. Maybe he doesn't do anything great, but he run blocks well. He pass protects well. He can be like a sixth offensive lineman out there, like Zach Miller used to be when he was here with us for that that couple of year period. He's a very if you look at him from a catch rate, I think he's got like over an eighty percent catch rate on his career. Brendan, when you target him, he catches the football. So when it comes to Disley as a player, I go, I got a complete player, ten million dollars a year, top twenty tight end play. It's a one-year deal, not multiple-year deal. It's a one-year deal, so I'm not on the hook for anything future. I'd even be on board with doing an extension for Disley if I can find it. I'm not paying him a lot, a huge contract, but if I can lower down the cap and give him an extension, I'm open to doing it. And let's, last point, let's not forget, we're down our two starting tight ends. Fant's a free agent. Parkinson's a free agent. You only have one guy on the roster right now in Disley. If you cut him away, now you're going to need to go find two to three tight ends this offseason, which is, I don't think that that's kind of ideal for organizationally. 
uh, in what you want to do, especially if you have so many other things you want to address. Two middle linebackers, the defensive line. What are you doing at the safety position? You know, there's only so much kind of room out there to you know, build this back up a little bit. I can get behind all that. My one question is, what? A, where is Disley physically? Can he, like, there were games this year where he played like 25% of the snaps. And maybe that was just situational. Maybe that was just a thing where like, oh, this game, he's not going to be a big part of the game plan. But have the injuries added up to the point where he just can't really take on a serious workload anymore? That would be my fear with bringing back Disley. Because as of right now, Assuming you lose Fant, which I, I think we will, and we lose Parkinson, which I kind of think we will. I'm not so sure about that one. Disley's your starter. And if he's playing like 40, 45 snaps a game for you, he's totally worth 10.1 million. I got no problem with that. Is he physically capable of it? Well, when it comes to the injury part about whether or not he's capable to play these snaps, we don't know whether or not he's had his snaps reduced the past couple of years because of injuries or because of Noah Fant's presence. We know the snap count goes down once Fant bursts here onto the scene. We know that Fant's being paid more than him. We know that Fant's a little bit more of the H-back type, and they want to bring him in there for the passing situations, to, and that he's eating into those snaps. So I would counter, is it really because of the injuries, or is it because of more Seahawks wanting to feature Fant? And once they got JSN this last year, for instance, now you're wanting to see them go to a commitment to three wide receiver sets. Now they're going away from 12 and 13 personnel. And now does that have anything to do with Fant's injury, or does that have to do with philosophy and offensive approach? I would argue it's offensive approach more than that's injury-based. When you look at his history right now of playing and the games he's missed versus the games he's made, he played in 2020-16 games, 2021-15 games, 2022-15 games, 2023-16 games. So the, the narrative that Will Disley is injury-prone or doesn't play or, or has to have that, it's one I hear a lot about. And I know that he's had some stuff they've managed at times, but I don't know if it's as much driven his lack of playing by his injury as much as it's just by what they were doing in different other philosophies with fan, with JSN on board. And that, you know, now that there is no fan here, and if you may be having a rookie tight end behind Disley, Brendan, you know, that you're having to bring along, you know, and have to slowly kind of bring on, then he starts to get more snaps back on that in that case of things, which I could see, you know, happening. Yeah, for me with Disley, it's not so much just the injuries and the games missed or anything like that. It's just a general sense that he's breaking down. And if you try to play him 45 snaps a game, he'll just turn to dust. Like, I do kind of get that vibe. That's the one thing I would be concerned about. But I do think you're probably right. I don't like it, really. But I do think you're going to have to take this year to find out. And... Mm -hmm. um. I do think that extension thing is something that we're going to have to talk about a little later this show, because I do think that's a real solution here, because if you don't think he can handle that load, then 10.1 million for a not even starting tight end is it's tough. It's tough to justify for me. Yeah, it is tough to justify. I mean, there is a dead money hit, so you're not just saving yet. Of course, the pure $10 million if you're going to move off of him yeah. at that, you know, at that point. So. Three point one, um, you know, before before you had Noah Fant in here and, and rocking it, he was up around five hundred. Two thousand twenty, he was up at five hundred eighty nine snaps. Two thousand twenty one, five hundred twelve snaps. Two thousand twenty two, five hundred sixty seven snaps. This year, it goes down to three hundred seventy eight, and I think that that comes in tandem with Fant and getting the most out of him in the final year of that contract in JSN. I I know that you've got the vibe on that, 
But what I always go to is, okay, well, what is our evidence of that though? Where is the quote from the coaching staff of, you know, we've have to manage this guy. Well, he's just always beat up and he's just never right. So we feel like we got to contain his snaps a little bit. We don't have any quote to go on of that of any coach. And so there's a little bit of that of, well, I have a feeling that this is that way. And I think that that's, it may be right. It may be true. I'm not trying to kick the legs out from your argument, but I always say you got to give me something tangible to back that up from an evidentiary standpoint. It can't just be, I got a feeling or a vibe. It can't if we've got nothing else to go on. But when I do look at the snap counts prior to Fant getting here and they were nice, plenty high, right? And that was just after he had those two major injuries back-to-back years where he had his seasons cut off, yet he still found well almost 600 snaps in those given years. I, I think that it's it's much that we're guessing that to be the case. And I don't think there's as much there that that's tangibly proof of that. And there would be, I think, some kind of quote from coaches like we got from Lucas this year, Brennan. Chronic. We heard the word chronic in regards to Lucas, right? Yeah. Oh, that's long-term. I haven't heard anybody reference anything into Disley past. Well, he's had a multiple injuries, multiple surgeries, so therefore he must have these chronic things going on, which is logical. It's reasonable, but I don't know if we know for sure. Okay. All right. So you are a no. I, I think I'm a no too, but I don't really like it. And I'd love to find some kind of solution here that would allow me to get out of this one. But I don't think there is one because we're, I mean, like you said, we have no tight ends left. All our tight ends are flying the nest, so and probably weak, stuck. It's a weak tight end draft, just yeah. that as well. It's very, very. It's it's shaping up to be pretty like one second round guy, one one first round guy, kind of thing. Yeah, For whatever. That's it's bad. I, I ran the numbers by the way, and we'll talk about this in a future show. But I I think fans going to get like thirteen mil a year out there. I could see it totally, yeah. man. That's it's it's that's where it's, I'm, I'm looking. So you're not keeping him. There's no way. No. No, there's absolutely no way I'm spending that money on him. Um, and I'm trying to look right now to see what we've got for tight ends out there, but I'm going to guess too that the market's going to be pretty light for, yeah. So you got Hunter Henry, Dalton Schultz, Gerald Everett, Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, Austin Hooper. I mean, there's, yeah. It's, so you have a weak tight end class. You have a weak class of free agents. I don't want to, I don't want to pair that position down to nothing, to zero of three that I got to go find three in all of this yeah. scarcity. Okay. All right. So that is Will Disley. That's a little bit more of a tougher one, but it was a good discussion to have. Had to have it. Got to have these oh, yeah. calls. Oh, yeah. Uh, next one, I don't think will be so tough because I think we're both kind of interested to see what this guy is going to do now. Number eight is Julian Love. 8.1 mm-hmm. million cap hit on the final year of a two-year deal. If you let him go, you do save most of that money. 5.7. So the dead cap, it's only like 2.4. But I, I think there's some reason to believe that Julian Love benefits tremendously from this transition to Mike McDonald. So I think we both want to see what he can do, but uh, any any thoughts here beyond that? Well, some of this is, of course, going to be interlaced with Quandary Diggs and Jamal Adams. You've got to, you've got to kind of thread this thing between all three guys to, to get the full view of what is what, because you're going to go down from Quandary and Jamal and you go, okay, now we have complete uncertainty at the safety position. You have Julian Love, you have Jarek Reed coming off a torn ACL, Kobe Bryant, who probably should be an outside corner and not a lot else. What's nice about Julian and what he gives you for that money is number one, he's got familiar, he's got familiarity with his scheme like no other player in this roster. He played under Wink Martindale. He's going to understand the terminology, the checks, all of that from day one. And under Wink, Wink had him play all over the place. Free safety, strong safety, slot, uh, even some linebacker snaps, I think, were in there for Julian at times. So he has an ability to play a lot of different positions as well, but most importantly, be a purified purified figure when it comes to that split safety look and the desirable skill set. 
being that I, and I've, I've said it once, but this is something that can't get lost in this, in this new scheme. The strong safety and the free safety are ubiquitous. They both must have essentially the same kind of skill set in order for you to be completely pre, pre, unpredictable post-snap in what you're doing coverage-wise. You know, with Quandre out there, I know who my single high safety is. I can identify that as a quarterback. Think about having two Quandre potentials or two Jamal potentials out there and how it flexes and changes. So he's he's very important to that, I think. He gives you some safety in there where there's some uncertainty and especially not just uncertainty, Brendan, with starters, but depth. And then he provides you that ability, Brendan, to go into this draft and lean into your value in the draft, right? Because if you come to the second round, maybe you come back in the second round, there's a Cameron Kitchens there you love who's dropped that you've just fallen in love with or a Tyler Newbin that's dropped or a certain guy who's maybe a little bit more to play into this side. You know he can flex any way. So you can pick the best strong safety, free safety. You're going to look for a guy that's got the multi-dual skill set too, but you can kind of truly go grab then the best player if you're going to go target a safety in the draft, which would be likely, I think, to happen if you're going to cut off Quandry and Jamal uh, as well. So uh, it kind of syncs up to me that it makes just so much sense just to roll with them. Maybe even an extension. Yeah, yeah. That's another discussion we'll have shortly. But um, I I think you got to keep something. You got to have at least one veteran safety on the roster that you feel pretty good about. I think McDonald's going to be good for him. I think that, um, I, again, he had his career year with uh, Wink Martindale running that defense in New York. So, yeah, I'm on board with keeping Julian Love around. Maybe on an extension, but um, I'm not. I'm not cutting him. I'm not trading him. I'm looking to keep him around. Is the bottom line here? Yeah, same. All right. So, cut candidate number nine. This is going to be another pretty easy one, I think. I don't know of any people still in this guy's camp. It's Brian Monet. Do five point nine million dollars somehow, some way. Five point nine million dollars. You save all but half a million if he's gone. $5.4 million savings. So that's going to make that pretty easy. Luckily, that contract was structured in such a way. Although I will say he, I think, probably has to pass a physical before we can release him. And I haven't seen this guy in about 15 months. He, he might he be ain't over it yet. I don't, yeah. uh, he ain't never getting over it at this point. I mean, it's been two yeah. years since that injury. So I, I, I haven't even seen him in like, 15 months he's hanging out with db cooper or something i don't know i think what they did i think what they did is he was healthy enough to play this year and i think they said we're just going to shut you down because we don't want you to get injured and then we are on the hook for those money you know i think they wanted to get out from the cuts they're like you ain't it ain't worth it to play you at this point to risk that so just sit on the bench eat your money this year and then bye bye yeah so that one not much to talk about so 5.4 million dollar savings we're we're still cooking here man we're still mm -hmm. cooking. I don't. I don't think too many people are going to shed a tear about what we've uh, cut loose here. No, I, everyone will be in favor. This will be the unanimous one right here. Yeah. Uh, cut candidate number ten. Another defensive lineman. Another five point nine million dollar cap hit. Basically, an identical cap hit, but uh, probably going to be a different perception here. It's Jaron Reed. Do mm -hmm. five point nine million in twenty twenty four. You save about seventy five percent of it. Four point four if released now he played pretty well last year but he is getting older maybe he's you know maybe there's just no future for him on this defense with the, thing, the way things are going right now maybe there it's like no country for old men you got to push the elder ones out there get some younger guys in here i don't know it's not impossible but if you're making the call what call do you make i would um i would be keeping jaron reed 
I, mm-hmm. He's a, a nose tackle who slid back into that role last year. Um, I told you last year I think he can slide back in this nose tackle role and be really strong in that role going back to his origins, and I think he was so. I think you wore him down as the year went along. You asked him to play too many snaps. You didn't have another nose tackle that could be functional in there at times. Um, so you leaned on him too heavily, and then that made his season not look as good as it really was, Brendan. And and it was a really solid, strong year from Jaron, and he even still was able to give you some pass rush from that one tech position at times. Um, yeah, I I want to keep him. I don't know what we have in Cam Young at this point. Um, maybe that'll be a player. Maybe he won't. We'll have to see with him. Um, you don't have anything else besides that at that point, especially when Monet's not that Monet you count on him. But it again, comes down to just. Played well for you. Cost isn't exorbitant. You don't have a lot of options on the roster. Nose tackle is a little bit like tight end. It's kind of a quiet position where you think it's just easy to go find the trash cans that they can take up space. But, Brendan, it's not, is it? I mean, yeah. really, when we look at these drafts, it's like we get three one-techs a draft in the top four rounds, right? I mean, it's it's that way right now. McClinley Jackson and Tavondre Sweat are your only one-techs that are going to go, I think, in the first three rounds of this year's draft. You don't so think again, Corleone, Dante Corleone? He does a little three tech, one tech stuff. Mm. So he's he pops between the two a bit. He's like a he's like a Leonard more Leonard E. Williams y kind of stuff with what he can do a little bit in his skill set. But yeah, I mean he's 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 valid. Um, but still not a lot of guys. And and there's not gonna be a lot of guys out there in free agency you can go get the that'll foot this bill either. And so um for that that cap hit, I I I would just roll with that and uh, feel pretty good about that. He was a leader in that locker room last year, too, where there wasn't a lot of guys mm. speaking up trying to get those heads turned on in the right place, trying to get everybody in the right mental state. Yeah, I I agree. I'm in the same boat here. Keep read. I wouldn't be shocked if McDonald just goes, look, I'm trying to turn some stuff over. I'm trying to push some of these old guys out. And I'm not going to be too upset if that happens. But um, if it's up to me, I'm keeping read around. So on the same page, pretty good. A yeah. uh, couple of donos here. We've got uh, Radu Turkan. Thank you for the 499. How far does Derek Hall drop if we don't grab him in the second? Also, what was your guys' grade on him coming out last year? Um, who was the pass rusher off the board after Derek Hall? Was it? It, it was it. Um, the Ojulari. Two picks, uh, 40-41. You had Isaiah Foskey out of Notre Dame taken by the Saints at forty, and then the Cardinals at forty-one took both BJ Ojulari. So probably goes there. Yeah, I had Hall mid second, I think. He would have he would have gone to the Saints. Um, so he would have got about four picks, Radu, after we picked him to the Saints, because no way Saints would have had a higher grade on Foskey than Hall. Um, I had a second round grade on him. Um, I had a low second round grade on him in my look. So where we put we took him as exactly where I had the grade on him put. And um, okay. quite frankly, I was kind of surprised that he didn't give more to the team. So, you know, it looks okay. like maybe a miss on, on my part with the outlook of him, but you know, he was really, he really didn't look this rough in college. He was not this, like, he has to get all this stuff cleaned up in his game to get to being a, an effective player. And maybe it's just a bad opening year. And and maybe it was the shoulder thing that he was dealing with. I don't know, but he was a uh, very surprising that you weren't getting more from him. I didn't, I wasn't expecting a lot, but it was disappointing opening year. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's another guy who might benefit from the presence of McDonald. I imagine that's going to help. I mean, these, uh, edge rushers, they kind of go to Mike McDonald to re- reclamate their careers a little bit, right? Like Clowney. Clowney was... uh, yeah. Oded or I can't say his name, but that's another guy's. Van Hoyne was basically yeah, out of the league. So I, I think, um, maybe there's some potential there for, for Hall to kind of come forward a little bit on this and, and have a little bit of a better time with it. But, um, 
We'll see. He's got a great skill set. Big, big arm, long arms, strong, legitimately strong, like NFL strong. Um, and, and enough movement ability to, to make you uncomfortable there as a tackle. So he's still got a really good skill set to work with. And there's been a rich history, Radu, of these edges in that first year not having a lot of productivity. So he's not the only guy that this has happened to, including the guys that we just mentioned. I mean, Ojolari did okay, and Foskey didn't do a whole lot last year. We look at the other edges that were taken. Um, Keon White was, I think, more kicked inside. So I, I don't even know if I consider him. Yeah. I don't see anybody else. You got Gervon Dexter didn't do a lot for Chicago. Most um, of these uh, second tier and third tier edges don't. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, just kind of is what it is. The kid from Tennessee, obviously we look bad, Radu, because the kid from Tennessee popped. And so a lot of people would say, well, why don't you take the Byron Young kid out of Tennessee instead? But Hall was the better prospect. Byron Young had a lot to clean up in his game with the Tennessee tape. And he took really big leaps forward with the Rams. Surprising leaps forward. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jordan, thank you for the $5. Does Kobe Bryant fit as a safety in the new scheme? Uh, I mean, this one's tough because we've only seen him play a tiny bit at the, uh, at the uh, safety position so far. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of him as a safety prospect, Jordan. I think he's more of a corner and uh zone cover corner. And I think that'll fit to McDonald kicking him back to the outside would be my guess is that he goes back out there. And, and that the slot stuff, the safety stuff, cause starts to go away at this point. Yeah, that 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 kind of makes sense. Um, especially if we do end up moving off of Woolen, we're going to have a need there. Yeah, well, and, and Mike Jackson's a free agent, and I like I said with Woolen, even Trey Brown's on this list too. Brandon, does Trey Brown fit into what he wants as well? You know, nice thing with Kobe Bryant, he's got the background of off coverage zone. And he's a tackler for the position. So there are some things that are going to be attractive to go for Mike McDonald to maybe moving him out there. Uh, versus a guy like Trey Brown, who might be a bit better in coverage, but maybe not the tackler um, that you get from Kobe. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I still ha I, I still wanted – I still – we got to figure out how to use Kobe the right way because he's got some things in his skill set that I really like. Like, you don't see very many players force fumbles like that. Like, he – uh, if it wasn't for the refs hating him, he'd like have like seven forced fumbles in his career already. And a couple of picks. He had a few mm -hmm. picks on the first year taken uh, taken away in that same same realm. Uh, yeah, um, but that's where I get back to the tackling part with him on the outside because you're bringing a guy that could, at times you felt good enough to put him at safety and how he tackled to feel good that he could do that. Then, And he was two-time All-ACC, Walter Thorpe Award winner as a cornerback coming out of college. You know, I mean, the year that Sauce Gardner came out, he won the Walter Thorpe over the Sauce Gardner in, in that position. I still come back to like, we just kind of decided instantly with him to bounce him out of that position. And I don't really know why. That's why you took him in the fourth round for the work that he did on the outside, not to be a slot, not to be a safety. Mm -hmm. uh, Corey Coombe, thank you for the $1.99. Thoughts on Anderson getting defensive rookie of the year over Devin Witherspoon? Um, yeah, I, I, I did see that uh, Anderson barely beat out Carter and third place was Kobe Turner. And then you had uh, Witherspoon. Um, I think the right guy probably did win. Like Will Anderson was good. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm high on the rookie season that he had and he played, I think he played every game. Maybe he missed one. I think he played everyone. No, he, yeah. he, pretty, he played pretty much everyone. And I mean, yeah, he was, he was fine this year. I had seven sacks, 45 tackles. Witherspoon did miss his, miss some games. Wasn't there in the first game of the year and then had a couple of games missed throughout. So, you know, I, I, 
I can understand if they want to go a different way with it. And it's a hard one for, as we've talked about, for a West Coast people to win it, a West Coast player to win it. It's just harder to happen. Rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. It's it's not an easy thing to get. But it is nice just to look at in general, Brendan, when you look at the, these rookie of the year votes, be it offensive rookie of the year last year, defensive rookie of the year last year, uh, defensive rookie of the year this year, that you're having guys popping up there, even if they're fourth or third or second on the list, wherever they may be, it does show a representation of how well you are drafting and that you are bringing in good players at this point. And that's far more important than any award. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Bear with me. You are one sec, Brian. I'll be right back. Not a problem. Okay. Right. But um, I, I do think that Witherspoon probably should have gotten in over Carter because he played a lot more than Carter. And I don't know very much about Kobe Turner, but I know he had a really good year. So I don't have a huge objection to the way in which um, that particular voting turned out. And uh, people in chat, does anybody know who won Walter Payton Main of the Year award? Uh, because I know Bobby was up for that. Every team has a representative for Walter Payton Main of the Year award, but uh, I'm not sure who won. I know Lamar did win MVP. Cameron Hayward? Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, Wagner was nominated. But Cam Hayward won? Okay. Sure. <laughs> Bobby got the Rooney Sportsmanship Award? Yeah, I didn't know that was an award. Thanks, man. Sorry about that. Not a problem. So <clears throat> I guess Bobby Wagner won the Sportsmanship uh, Rooney Award for the year. So that's cool. Cool. But uh, no other Seahawks win an award. So Geno Smith uh, still the last guy to win an actual on-field award for the Seahawks, which I can dig it, you know? Yeah, I'm, it's hard. It's hard to get him. All right. So next cut candidate, number 11 here, uh, Nick Ballora. Making four million this year, two point eight million saved if cut. So you only owe him one point two. Basically, it's actually one point one five, but call it one point two. What are we doing with Nick Ballor? Uh, uh, it it gets a little bit tough with it too because you have to add on basically a vet minimum deal you're flipping him out for. So it's like if you're moving him off, it's like you have to almost add. $800,000 to the cap savings. So it's like a million dollar savings really. Cause mm -hmm. somebody's going to have to take the place to be the special teams guy at that point. So well, I, what if it's a rookie UDFA, then it would be a lot less than that, right? It would be like 500,000, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I go a lot less than that, but it's mm -hmm. yeah, it's 550, 600, something like that. Cause it's the, the, the minimum's going up. Um, and, and so let's just call it 500,000 at that point, you know, and you're saving the 1.2, right? So or 2.8, you take 500,000, you're down, down to 2.3. I'm open to doing it. I'm, I'm yeah. not against it, but it's, it's obviously it's, you know, it, it's not going to save you a ton of space. It's especially for what $2 million gets you in the modern day, which is a vet minimum yeah. for guys been in the league for five, six years. So, uh, but I'm all right with it. If they want to just, I mean, it's certainly a lot to pay a guy 35 years old that, you know, is here to be just essentially a special teams guy. Yeah, let me check something here real quick. I believe that actually pays for 
Yeah, actually, 2.8 million is the estimated cap hit for our entire draft class. So that does pay for that because the rookies are so cheap. I, I, I'm sorry, that pays for the cap hit of your first round pick. I was going to say, it's more than that. It's more yeah, than the, Yeah, I'm the... sorry. I was looking at the wrong column here. But yeah, the number 16 overall pick, first year cap hit will be 2.8 million. So you can look at it like that, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's it's possible they could do it. I mean, it's it is saving. So I'm I'm not against it. I'm I'm not against it at all if they want to take that and cut that with a little bit extra in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this one. I, it's just time. Um, at his age, he might slip. I know he's still a pretty good special teamer, and I know he's part of the reason why we have good special teams. Honestly, I feel like Jarek Reed was our best special teamer last year until he got hurt, though. So I feel like he had already been usurped, and then Reed got hurt. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, Reed was a monster last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, one more cut candidate, and this is going to be the quickest one of all, I think. Number 12 is D. Eskridge. Cap hit of 1.9. You save 1.5 if he goes. Is this finally going to be the offseason where he goes for you? Yeah, it's it's it, to keep him on the roster at this point is ridiculous. I just there's, there's a variety of reasons from the suspension he got at the start of the year to the fact that he got injured this year on the very first play of the very first I think the training uh, special or what a preseason game on the opening kickoff gets hurt. Um, And he got hurt multiple times over again this year. Like after that point, it's, he is not just made of glass. He's made of like paper mache. I mean, it's like glass is too tough of a material to to compare Mm -hmm. him to. You know, and I, you, I don't care what his natural talent is. The guy can't stay on the football field. Darius Tony's a real natural talented guy, but I don't want any part of him either for different reasons. Like there's different things that'll take you away from the talent. This is one. Yeah. He's made of whatever, like, like um, I remember back when I was much younger watching, do you remember the Terminator TV show they did? The Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> I didn't watch it, but I remember they did it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember during the fight scenes, they would have like the walls be made out of what was very obviously styrofoam. So they could break through it and look like they're punching really hard. <laughs> But it looks like styrofoam. You can just tell the way that it breaks and the way that it yeah. bends and when they hit it. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got that certain way it's gonna react that you can just tell. That's yeah, that's that's him. He's basically the Terminator styrofoam walls where just can't can't hold it together. And it's gone back from college. It's not been a pro thing. This is something that he dealt with back at college, so it's not getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, so I don't think there's any argument to the contrary on Eskridge. It's just time to go. Time to yeah. do something else. We have receivers. We don't need receivers. We got receivers. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. So that's it for the cut candidates. That's basically everybody who saves money if they're let go. There are a couple other guys who would save you a couple hundred thousand, but we don't need to talk about that. Like there, there's nothing to talk about really. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've done pretty well so far. We've released five players and we have released. Let me do the math or let me let the good people at Google do that math for me. We have saved over $37 million already. So that's Leonard Williams. That's, um, let's see Patrick who else. Queen. Yeah, that's Patrick Queen or Jordan Brooks, whoever it is you end up picking between the two. That's your entire rookie class. And um, we're not done cooking yet. We still got uh, some things to cook here. So do you want to do the extensions or do you want to do the restructures next? Either or. All right, let, let's start with extensions. And this one's kind of tough because on top of actually doing the extension, you need to kind of find the extension the player will agree to. And generally speaking, 
Um, I think a player is a little more willing to meet you halfway on an extension before their deal expires because you're doing them a favor. So they're obligated to do you a little bit of a favor too. You're taking care of them early. You're giving them long-term security earlier than you needed to. So the player is a little more likely to be like, okay, I'll give you a little bit of a break, which is why you saw like, just as an example, Carson Wentz to give the Eagles a break on his extension. And Dak Prescott did not do that for his extension with the Cowboys because they made him wait an extra two years. So it's uh, it, it's good to do these extensions for players that you think are going to be with you for an extended period of time. Oh, yeah. I, if, especially if you want to get out ahead of it. Because if you wait, you're paying the price. and You're going to pay you know, sometimes double like the Cowboys did with Dak by trying to wait so long. Mm -hmm. So here are the extension candidates that I have. I didn't find a ton of them. I found six. And some of uh, these are actually all guys we just discussed in the previous segment here, but they're um, with one exception, all guys that we both agreed should not get cut. So that's good. So we're not cutting Geno Smith. So would you extend Geno Smith to get that cap it down? Because right now it's 31.2. Now, I don't know what an extension would look like, but he's coming off a year that was not as good as the year he just had. So maybe you could get him to kind of go along the lines of his previous extension. You go up to him and say, look, your last extension was 25 mil per. So we're going to extend you for another two years for another 25 million per. So two years, 50 might have to be a little bit more because of inflation, but it would be somewhere around this number, two year, two more years, 50 more million. You get that first year cap it down to about 15 cuts it in half and you're saving 16.2 million from where it was. Would you be willing to do something like that? Um, I think that there's just got to be a couple of caveats for your approach if you're going to do that. Number one, it's it's an approach that you're taking with the, the the process of we feel that we can definitely compete next year. Not if just things, everything goes right and young guys develop in a certain way and we're just like Mike come in and institute his thing. But no, we're, we're driving this and we want to push this hard, fast and forward. That would be the only way to and on the front of this to first to start to consider this move. Um, am I open to it? Yeah, I definitely am open to it from that, that length, Brendan. I mean, the, I'm always about competing. I'm not a guy that's like, we'll just kick this season down the road for the hell of it. And if you are going to be willing to go that route, then do it. I think that beyond the exact numbers on it, what I think that the boils down to is this Gino signed a deal prior that made sense for both Gino and the ball club. Most of these quarterbacks signing new contracts, sign contracts that are good for the player. Mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins is going to go sign a contract this offseason that's good for him and not good for the team that's signing him. He's going to be way overpaid for where he is in his, in, at his age and the risk that you're taking there. So if Gino is willing to take that same approach where he's sort of, in my opinion, he was the good soldier. 17th highest cap hit this last year at $10 million. First, take a look at that Daniel Jones contract that yeah. was signed at the, at the exact same time or the Jalen Hurts contract that was signed. Um, Glass Eagles, Yeah, Derek Carr. So... He's shown a willingness to do it once. That tells me he's got that willingness to, uh, uh, like a few QB, QBs do, it's part of why I like Gino so much is it's it's such a rarity in quarterbacks to have this self-realization of maybe I don't need to make twice, double, triple what the next guy on the roster is making. So if he's willing to do that and it makes sense for the team to where we're not, you know, really putting the future cap into in a tough shape for us as far as where you're pushing the numbers, but like you put that you save essentially half off the cap this year, hell to the yes, mm -hmm. make it, make it go. Yeah. I, I'm all over this one. This is one of the biggest assets the Seahawks have. They have a approximately top 10 quarterback willing to get paid like a top 20 quarterback. So I'm trying to take as much advantage of this as I can. And that means keeping him around as long as possible. 
I'm not really scared about the age because he doesn't have a lot of miles on him. Um, I think that um, this most recent year, while his numbers were not as good and he overall didn't play as good, I think he's still the same player he was in 2022. So I'm extending Gino. Uh, it's going to be an extension you can get out of after two years and get out of it easily after three years. So the full four years won't hit. Um, I'm I'm all over this one. So yeah, I, I would love to get this extension done. And like I said, the, the numbers are estimated. All these extension numbers are estimated. I don't know what they would actually look like, but in this scenario, you'd be saving 16.2 million. Sign me up. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So that's our first one. Our second extension candidate, number two here. This is another one that would be a, a big one, but this is a guy I have no problem committing to long-term. And it would be maybe hard to get him to come to the negotiation table right now. But what about DK Metcalf? What if you could say, hey, we'll give we'll put another two years and another 50 million. It might have to be like 55, might have to be even 60 million on your deal to get the current year cap it down to 14 million from 24 and a half. You're saving 10 and a half. Now, I don't know if DK would be willing to do this because he's probably thinking like, I'm going to have that all pro year soon under a new offensive coordinator in a new system. And then I'm going to be getting Justin Jefferson money next time I hit the market. He might be thinking like that, but if he was willing to come to the table on a negotiation for an extension and it came out, you know, something like this or a little bit more, would you do it? Sure. I'd be open to it. Uh, I, I think it's not the team's tendency to do this. They like to wait till the players in the last year of his deal. So it's, the problem is that when you sign a player with two years remaining on their contract, you set the president. And when you set the president, now you have other players coming saying, you say it's a tried and true rule, but you did it for this guy. You know, you know, Cam Chancellor came back when you did it for Marshawn and said, well, you did it for Marshawn, so do it for me. And then this guy comes in and says, well, do it for me. So you've got to worry about the president part of this. And that part I would be thinking of. But with that said, if it's, I want Metcalf here in the long term, and that further marries him here to us and, uh, you save the money. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I'd be completely open to it, but I, I, I don't think John would be willing to do it for the two-year part of this. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a little different when it's also doing a favor for the team, right? Because this isn't just for his benefit. It's also for ours because we get that cap hit down in 2024. Mm -hmm. Like when Cam wanted his deal redone when he had three years left, it was all for his benefit. There wasn't really anything in it for the Seahawks. And I think yeah, that's but default. It's that the players that you come to the, the agents right now and you say, we don't do this. This is not our standard of doing it. And the agent says, well, you did this as a standard for this guy. And then you go, well, yeah, but he was saving us money. He's like, well, but you're willing to renegotiate with still two years remaining is the point. And that it's not a no-go territory. It is a go territory. Um, that just happened to be it was convenient for you to save the money, Hawks. But it may be inconvenient, but you're willing to do it. So you should do it for my guy, too, here, because he's worthy of doing it, even though it's different reasons. Um I, I don't think that this is one that's really on the table as a possibility, to be honest with you. You're, you're probably right, but I was trying to find possibilities because I'm, you know, over turning over every rock, trying to figure out how to save money here. I get it. I get it. And if you really want to go hog wild and restructure Gina, restructure DK this year and just maximize the cap, the most you could do it. But yeah. I, I don't think, you know, much more likely a Gino thing could go on than this one. This would be pretty highly unlikely. Yeah, and a restructure is far more likely for Metcalf than an extension. I, I do agree. And we'll talk about the restructure in a second here. But uh, we got a couple of super chats. Colby Jack, thank you for the $12. Brandon, see the new BMW commercial? It has a bunch of people imitating him. 
and by him i think he in this second super chat clarifies christopher walken you're as good as most of them well thank you colby jack you know i like bmws they're nice i'm more of a mercedes guy but give me a bmw i'll drive it all day free especially i don't know why they're gonna pay all these people for me when they could have just had me i'm doing doing too you know i'm still around if you want me, I can happen right here. Come on, BMW. Is he in Dune 2? He's the emperor, Brennan. Uh, is he? No, I'm the most important man in the movie. How do you not know this, Brendan? All right. I am DB. Do you read it? I don't know. You tell me. I, I, I've been trying to block myself off from all information about that that uh, movie because I'm planning on seeing it in theaters. Haven't been there in a while. I'm pretty excited. Well, you'll get more excited now, I'd hope, because mm. I'm going to be the emperor. It's all about the spice, Brennan. <laughs> the spice uh, melange. Yeah. That, oh, man. That, 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 that is a good one. Uh, that is a good imitation, too, by the way. I, I haven't seen this BMW commercial yet, but I don't think you could have done much better than that. No. You're always good to go with walking. He'll sell whatever you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see uh, The Dead Zone? Oh, yeah. I read yeah, the book, that's a, Yeah, that's an interesting uh, Christopher Walken one. <laughs> Might be my favorite. One of my favorite uh, walking. Um, I mean, walking and Stephen King is a combination. You can't go wrong. Um, those two those two just go together. But um yeah, that might be one of my favorite walk-in movies, actually, is The Dead Zone. Mm -hmm. Such a haunting scene when they got the, the kids with the hockey on the rink and he sees the vision of the kids on the ice, but they've gone beneath the water and they're like drifting down the water. It's like such a haunting shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's one of his best ones. That's got to be one of his best ones still. I think so. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's see here. Next extension candidate, and I think we've already kind of Decided on this one with what we said earlier, but let's say you're running the Seahawks, you're John Schneider, Mike McDonald goes up to him and is like, you and is like, I, I if you cut Quandre Diggs, I quit. Just for some reason, he loves Quandre Diggs, and he's like, if you cut him, I quit. I retire and I go uh, sing in a cabaret bar somewhere. I, I'm not coaching your team if you cut Quandre Diggs. Join a cult or something. Yeah. And you're faced with that scenario. And you're like, okay, we're stuck with him. We can't cut him. We can't trade him. Would you consider extending him then? Another couple years, 24 mil total, not get the cap hit this year down to 9 million, save 12 and a 12,300,000. 12, Any interest? I, no, I didn't want to sign him to a contract extension in the first place last time we did it. So I most, most certainly don't want to do it now. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I know I, I only put this one here because I know there are a few people who do actually want to extend him on Seahawks Twitter. So I wanted to at least float it to let those people know that we we, we see them. They exist. We know you guys <laughs> exist. We just uh, can't see this one. We, ju we just don't see it the way that you see it. Sorry. No, I, it, it just doesn't make sense. And again, the understanding, if you've got to have the split safeties, you have to have guys that are going to come up and tackle and they can they do that part of their game. That's And it just that's not who Quandary really has been. You know? mm -hmm. Okay, so extension candidate four is tough because I have no idea what an extension would look like on him. I took a guess, but I have no clue here. Will Disley. So I said, hey, you want one more year on your deal, Will Disley? One year, 
$1.8 million less than you have right now on your last deal, year. But realistically, with how much you played this most recent year, you should be happy you're getting that. And it allows us to push out $3 million of the cap hit to 2025, save $3 million this year, get it down to seven point one. Well, first of all, I mean, what do you th- what do you think a Will Disley extension would actually look like in practice? Let's let's start there. I think you're at three years, twenty four million before, so yeah. you're probably going to have to operate somewhere off of that as a beginning point. So it's it's probably three years, twenty three extension or a three year, mm. something in that in that neighborhood. Um, which I don't know if I really want to do. Um, I it's another one that I think I fit to more of the Draymond Tyler zone of things where I look at these contracts and I go, let it, let it run. You know what I mean? Let it, let it run. No dead money hit next year. Really? I know with Draymond and Tyler, that'd be the case, but with him, he's just free and clear at that point. And then you can make your decision on him at that point. I don't think you're rushed at this point to get out ahead of extending him now because the cost is going to be so great next year by waiting on Will. And the savings, I don't think are going to be that substantial because if it is a three year, $27 million deal, then that means probably a $10 million bonus, which means that's about 3.3 in, um, that's, that's 3.3 in, uh, in, in bonus money. And then you're at about a $2 million base. So you've really only collectively saved really the five, three to $5 million at the end of the day to do all those acrobatics. Doesn't really make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. Um, I really wouldn't want to go a three-year extension. That would, that would make me want to puke. If it's a one-year extension, just to push the cap hit out another year. I, I might be amenable to that. That's a little different. But I think if we're going to keep Disley, I would prefer to just let it ride on this last year. I, I, I tend to agree. But yeah. um, I wanted to present the possibility here. I think there's an argument for it, especially if you feel like his numbers are going to explode because he's going to play more this year. Yeah. I, I mean, I would be completely against it at, at Barnum, but it would have to just, it would have to make a lot of sense. And it's hard with this one where, where it's sitting the money wise numbers wise, because that new bonus money kicking in with the, the base just lowers down what you really save. Right. Uh, okay. So this next one, this one's kind of in the same boat for me. I don't know what an extension would look like here. So I just took a shot. It's Julian Love. Julian Love, I said, throw another year and another $8 million on there. He did just make the Pro Bowl, so it might have to be like two sixteen. You're probably paying a little bit of a premium there because he just went to Hawaii. I think they still do the Pro Bowl at Hawaii. I don't know. But the point is, you're getting that one-year cap hit down to $5.3 million. You're saving $2.8, close to $3 million. And you're just kind of kicking things down the uh, road a little bit in front of you. So you have a little bit more money to play with this season. Yeah, I'm not open to it. I, I signed a two-year, $12 million deal. You're you're not going to get away with a one- or two-year extension. So mm-hmm. like that's just not happening. The, the Look across the baseline of the league at the extensions given out in these kind of situations. And three years is where you have to start from. So it's a three-year extension is your minimum at that point. You're paying mm-hmm. him $6 million on average per. He's made the Pro Bowl. So it's probably more like $8 million. So it's... It's three and 25, probably you're adding on top again, like Ruel's kind of like a $10 million bonus. So, you know, I, it's a little bit like Will's just, I don't know that the savings are going to be so much there because he was on such a player friendly contract on that two year, $12 million deal that he signed, you know, that's such good value for the player you're getting. It's hard to surpass that savings substantially unless you're really buying into the long term with him there. And I wouldn't really want it because I think right now we got to try to drive more towards putting less into the safety position, less into future uh, commitment to the safety position because this is one of the places we've gone wrong at in recent years. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about doing like a three-year extension for love for like 24 mil. So that would be eight mil per. I guess I don't hate it. I don't feel the same way about that that I did about the Disley idea. Like, I, I don't have some viscerally negative reaction to that. No, he's still got the injury history and he's a younger player and he's performed, you know, he provides a lot of value for what he brings, being able to be, he's the one player that's fluid in your scheme and he can play both safety positions. He can play some slot. And he gives you a lot of flexibility if you get caught in injury situations. So there's a lot that could make sense in doing that. I wouldn't, you know, be completely out of, out of bounds with doing it. But if I was to really have stick to my guns with the money that we've already cleared in other places, I would more likely not just say, ride him out another year and see where it stands at that point. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the final extension candidate, again, I kind of had to scrape around to find guys that made any kind of sense at all. The only other guy I could find that I could even think about it would be Jaron Reed. If you wanted to give him another year, I don't think you'd have to go deep on it because he's so uh, old. I don't mm-hmm. think you'd have to be like a three-year extension or anything like that. Just tell them like, hey, you want another year of security? You want another, you know, $5 million in new money? Get that cap hit down, save about two and a half this year. Any interest? Sure. Or do a void year thing with them too. I'd be yeah. open to something like that. Put a void year on them so you're still free agent, but we're, we'll convert your base to bonus and we'll we'll cut your cap hit in half this year by doing yeah. so. Something like yeah. that would be. And I mean, you know, Jaron Reed's a guy who might retire next year. So the extra year of security is going to be big to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's got, he's got miles. He, he's got some serious miles. We're putting serious miles on that guy with how much we used him this year. So he would be grateful for that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that is every extension candidate that I found. Uh, we've got uh, the, the guys who have only been on the team as rookies for one or two years, you can't extend them. You have to finish three years to get extended. So there's no extending like Charles cross or there's no extending Ken Walker. They're they're rooted down to those rookie deals. So that's really about it in terms of the extensions. Uh, Zen lunatic. Thank you for the $20, a little off topic, but if SF loses on Sunday, what could that mean for the Hawks? Will SF make any drastic changes or just try and run it back next year? Uh, it's a great for us. I mean, San Francisco getting dealt a blow like that and losing in that manner is only going to cause probably ripples that will work in our favor in the long term. I would say it certainly doesn't help San Francisco to lose the game in any way. Um, I don't see there being drastic changes in San Francisco next year, with the exception of one thing that they would, I think likely do if they lose this, this game. And that is that I believe that they make a very strong run at Kirk cousins. And this Mm -hmm. is backed up by the fact that we heard reports midway through this year that the Niners told Brock Purdy that if Tom Brady was willing to come to the Niners, uh, this last, the the prior, you know, this off season, essentially that, that he would have been the backup and sitting behind Tom. So if you've already done this once for a, a legendary, not legendary, but really great quarterback. And we know that Shanahan's got the familiarity with cousins going back to Washington and that he's long been connected with cousins. I could, easily see San Francisco making that making that move at that point. Yeah, it, it kind of uh, – the Brock Purdy thing, it, it kind of reminds me of Elway's reactions to uh, Tim Tebow in Denver because at the time Elway was the GM when Tebow went on that miracle run. And you could tell whenever they asked Elway about it, you could tell by the tone of his voice that he's like, it, it, this is not going to last. Like, like th- this guy's awful. Like he, he didn't say that, of course. But it was clear with everything he said that he was like, yeah, I know this guy's garbage. I know that we're going to get somebody better as soon as we can. 
it almost feels like it's not that bad with Purdy, but there is a sense that Frisco knows like he's very, very limited. And if we can do better and we can easily do better than we will. Well, there's more and more and more tape on Purdy, you know, like we saw with Russ, you know, the more you play, the more tape you get, the more teams force more and more you to play left-handed. And uh, there was some tape that came out this year on Purdy, especially in how to playing man coverage principles, playing stack fronts. I think the Chiefs are going to give him a lot of that in this upcoming football game and how, you know, he doesn't really have that arm to 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 really make you pay the price when you do squeeze those routes down a little bit. So, we'll see how that works in the long term with it, but I I could see them saying, "Well, we need that we've had the great team for the past couple of years and we can't get over the top. The one thing that we haven't had that's been great or been top level or been one of the best is even though Brock had a really good statistical year, there's those parts of it that people look at like you and my myself where we say, "Yeah, but that's his supporting cast that is really helping him to be at his best, and he's fitting great within that. He's doing his part, but what if you get a guy that's not as about relying on the supporting cast like a Cousins necessarily that can just come in there and just kind of you know ball out? And then you have the injury risk for Cousins protected because you have Brock Party sitting on the bench that you can always go to if uh, you you know the worry for Cousins and being older and all that comes into play. Yeah, I, I do wonder if the Achilles thing kills it. I, I, that how much money do you think Cousins is going to be looking for? Fifty million dollars a year. Yeah, coming off the Achilles tear, that's that's tough, man. I, I I don't think I could do it, but I think you're right. I I am with you on that. I wouldn't want to do it if I was San Francisco. But again, to Zoom Lenatics, the point, the thing on this is it that emotionality hits right from Niner standpoint. You have this brutal loss. You've come so close the last couple of years. You can't get over the top, especially if Brendan. Like, could you imagine if Brock comes in this game and his limitations are the the biggest, brightest thing that holds them back in this game from winning? You know, that that they that what KC does to him is essentially what the Ravens did was squeeze all those routes down and do a lot of stuff pre to post snap to confuse him. And then they're like, you know, you're really putting him on display in that point. That sticks in the craw of a team through the offseason a bit and then causes them to do it. Like you're right in a you know, being being sober and just looking at the situation, going, eh, that's for that amount of money for that age and all that. But for them that reaches that stage of things at the end of their Super Bowl window, desperation starting to hit in, understanding we've got they can make through next year on the cap, but the year after that is trouble trouble zone, right? That's danger zone. So they've got one more year beyond this to really make it go on the cap and make it happen. And I, I could see that occurring under that, uh, under that manner, Brendan. And he's going to get the 50 million somewhere because there's only three quarterbacks can be available on the market. It's fields cousins. And, uh, who's my other guy. We got one more guy out Tannehill? there. Tannehill? Are you counting Tannehill? No. Well, Wilson, I guess, right? He's Wilson. Give- Wilson will be the three. That I'm considering his three guys that'll get a start, true starting job yeah, somewhere. Yeah. We keep forgetting about him because he's not on the list for free right. agents, but yeah, he'll he will be, be there. Garoppolo might be out there too, but I don't know if he'll be a starter anymore. I just don't think he'll be given a look. And that's where we come back to why they'll be, you know, three QBs will be moved out around the league. You'll still be left at the draft with like five teams in the top 12 still needing a quarterback coming into draft day one, even with yeah. those three guys flipped, flipping around. Can't forget about Gardner Minshew, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's the van, the man. It's the power it's the of the van. stash. The yeah. power of the stash. Yeah, you've seen his van, right? The uh, oh, yeah. the, uh Gardner Minshew van. It's awesome. You gotta have it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody will give him a try. Mm-hmm. All right. So the final thing we need to discuss today would be restructures. This is basically you take a player and the player has multiple years left on their contract. So you convert as much base as possible to bonus. Process is a little bit convoluted, but the basic idea is any amount of base salary they're making above the NFL mandated minimum can be converted to bonus and the bonus splits across all remaining years of the contract. So you can save money that way. 
So right. I've done the math. I've uh, calculated out potential restructures on Spotrack. And here's what I found. Here's basically everybody we could restructure and save meaningful money on. All right. So this first one assumes that we couldn't get an extension done. It's Geno Smith. If you can't extend him, the other option would be take his base salary, which is a little over $12.5 million, convert as much as possible to bonus, you save $5.7 million, push it into 2025. Would you mm. do that if you can't find an extension? No, because I, I would lock it into the same spot of uh, the Draymond. And I'll probably be like this on a lot of the restructures, quite frankly, Brennan, because part of my view on this is clear the space that makes sense on this with the cuts here in this this year. But then also it's got to be the view to next year, Brennan. You just mentioned a little bit with those guys that you can't sign to extensions right now. But you're going to start to get to next year where the availability to move those guys to extension is going to start to come into play, where we're going to start to need to make the plan of how we get the base that's laid on this team as far as talent. Who, you know, Boye Mafe, Charles Cross, where are we at with Lucas, where are you at with Kenneth Walker? These guys are eligible for contract extensions. You don't have to at that time, but I think you're going to want to start to load balance some of that. And if you start to take next year's cap and pull it back too much in order to just fully all, all maximize this cap, I think you could be left in a situation where you're not able to get all those guys locked in, in that base for the long term the way you'd like to. So I, this would be one with Gino where I think you write it out another year. You get yourself into year three now to be able to make the decision on Gino of his his dead money hit's going to be much substantially lower next year. We maybe have now drafted that cornerback, the quarterback there who's ready to ascend, who's on that rookie deal in year two now of Gino's experience in 2025. And that I'd go a little bit more down that route. Okay. All right. So I wouldn't mind doing this if I felt like I need to, like I couldn't find the extension with him. Mm -hmm. But um, you do make a good point. Next year is going to be an interesting year. We're probably going to have to extend some guys. Although, you know, I'm thinking about like our rookie class uh, from 2022, which was a really good rookie class. Do you see any of those guys holding out for an extension after year three? Well, holding out is really hard to do. And for rookies, it's especially hard to do. So I don't know. I don't think anybody's holding out. But I think that you're going to try to, as you can, get out ahead of guys. I mean, if, if Charles Cross comes out this year and he posts an 85 PFF grade, um, would you not want to try to get him up on the 20 million per, as opposed to waiting and it turns into 28, 29 million if you wait a year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if he um, has that year, of course, definitely. Right. I'm all and, over and, it. And I think that there's very feasibly that he does have that year. So I, I feel that way about, you're not going to do it with all of them, Brennan, but with a boy and a Charles Cross at two very high important positions that guys that have developed and, you know, that you look at as, as, as pillars and foundational players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're, you're going to want, and remember with that, that's, that's the carrot you get to drop. Hey, we're, we're, the reason you got, you know, instead of DK Metcalf being on 25, 27, 30 million a year, the reason you got him at 23 and a half million per, is you had the final year of his rookie deal as leverage. We can yeah. play you out on that final rookie of the year, or you can take the little bit of the less, but I want to be in the position like we did with DK to get out ahead of that one, to not play it down the line, to not be talking about franchise tags, or I think I think dumb organizations have to utilize franchise tags. Smart organizations get out a year ahead of the process. Mm -hmm. All right, so restructure candidate number two. I think we've already kind of given up the ghost on how we feel about this one, but there is Tyler Lockett. You could save $7.6 if you convert his base to bonus, kick it into 2025. But 2025 will hit like an anvil if you do that. Yeah. So I think we're trying to avoid that. But uh, uh, any devil's advocate from you? 
It's only if you're trying to just drive this year so hard to hit in this year hard. Like you're going, look, we feel like they severely underperformed last year. I can create all this money and amp this team up even further. Let's go Gonzo. And if they want to go that route and choose that, I mean, hey, it, it would be, it would definitely put the future in a bit more peril, but uh, hey, all right, let's go. You know, but no, absent that, let it ride out, let it clear through. You get to next year's cap. There's not a lot of dead money on the books. You can just kind of, you know, float it through and do what you need to do at that point without being really hindered. Yeah. I probably want to give Mike McDonald a year of experience as a head coach before you go crazy like that. Agreed. Yeah. Especially because there may be a chance we have to be very patient this year as far as the competing process, Brendan, like him coming in and instituting this defense that's so different than the defense you've run before, giving him that year to update it to where, look, we may not be into that full contending state or ready to go this year. And thus don't do any go for it now moves. I think definitely could make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. One thing too, to, to, to think about with this a little bit, as I look at it, 2025 right now, the Seahawks are, are set at, they're at 28th in the NFL with $42 million of cap space. The top team's got $258 million of cap space. So that's why when I talk about 2025 and those third year guys and, we got to be a little bit cognizant on these go for it now moves of of s- sacrificing future space because future space is already, you know, kind yeah. of in a in a in a dodgy spot. Yeah, the, the, some of that cap space will clear up when we get rid mm-hmm. of guys like Adams, though, because they're on the books for twenty twenty five right now. Co- correct, and and I would expect uh, a locket would be off the books by that point. I Draymond Jones, I don't know if he'd be staying on the books at the same spot. So th- that's that's that whole cap flexibility thing, but. It's also representative. You're not on the other side of it, right, Brendan? You're not on the $200 million side of it right now yeah. where you got money burning in your pocket, burn a hole in your pocket. Let's go crazy. Um, by the way, Saints already at negative $41 million for, right. for uh, 2025. Yeah. We're going to – somebody needs to investigate that. Somebody <laughs> somebody needs to figure out how they do it every year. And they're, it's not like they're good. It's not I like know. they're even a good team. They're not even doing it for any reason other than that they can. I know they they will not bite the bullet and just take a, a rebuild year. They utterly refuse to do it, and God knows why. But they just will not will not do it. Maybe they've been told that the team will move if they have a bad year because like there or something. That that's the only thing I can think of that makes more sense than anything anybody else can say. It's it doesn't otherwise doesn't make sense to me. Eventually, you got to call the ball on that one and just be like, you know, maybe not every year we'll go negative eighty. Let's just clear one year out and clear this all through, and then turn this back around. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So this next one, I mean, there, there's not much to say here, but technically speaking, you could restructure Jamal Adams. You could convert mm-hmm. 15.3 million base to bonus, save 7.6, kick it into 2025. So mm-hmm. if Mike McDonald goes up to you and is like, if you cut or trade Jamal Adams, I'm retiring. I, you're, well, I mean, that would raise some serious questions about the competency of your head coach. But I think you would just kind of roll it over, just kind of take it for one year and then release him in 2025. You wouldn't restructure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. There's no, I don't care what Mike Vidal says on this. It's irrelevant, his opinion of Jamal Adams at this point. He yeah. doesn't have to be, it's, it's just, I, I don't, he doesn't carry, he's not a general manager, he's a coach. We have a general manager who makes the general manager decisions. There's a reason for that, for these kind of situations. And um, you, yeah, Jamal's out. He's done. Yeah. There's no restructure, he's out. Okay. That's where it is. All right. So the next restructure candidate would be you could restructure DK Metcalf, convert 11, uh, almost 12 million to base and mm-hmm. save 6 million this year. Not huge, but pays for a little bit. 
would would you be open to this? I would, but but again, I'm I'm hesitant on all this because I think you're just yeah. we're we're already with some of the cuts we're having to do. It's you know the post June first designation with Jamal, or you know that's he's off the books for 2025, but then there's 10 million dollars dead money on the books. You know, it's like I I I want to kind of roll this pretty plain pretty clear on this but i'm not against it if the team decides again that it's just got to be on the auspice if we're going all in at that point if you're going all in then go all in maximize it to the utmost don't just partially do it go all the way and if you're not going to go all the way then don't do really any of it on the other right. side of it mm -hmm. right um i would be open to doing this if we can't find an extension with him and i don't think we're going to be able to to be perfectly honest I, like you said an extension is unlikely for metcalf right now but um if you can't find that then I think a restructure makes sense, but it's probably one of those things like break glass in case of emergency, right? If you're yeah. like, oh, we need that six million, we need that six million, then yeah. you do it because it, it, it's like an emergency option. It's not something you do at the start of the off season. No, no, you'd you'd be able to do it. And a part of this too is it's Metcalf goes, I believe, into the final year of his contract next year. So you're probably also going to want to not have a ton of money you're still cooking off the books off bonus bonus because you're going to want to get them on a new deer deal before the final year ends on the old contract so it's a little bit of that balancing act you have to play on these kind of deals mm -hmm. all right uh next guy you could restructure would be draymond jones convert 10 million save 5 million kick 5 million into 2025 any interest on your part no, as we just don't know, we have him in as a player yeah. at this point. So I don't can't can't do that until we got a better understanding of who he is and what he is, and yeah. if he's worth the while the money. Too much of a gamble, and I say that as someone like me who does really like to uh, take risks in this kind of stuff. I just don't think this is a risk that you can take. No, you got to be able to put yourself in a position. It's like the Tyler. Just you got to be in the position to maybe I'll make the call next year of, hey, is he really great? Let's put him in the extension, lower down the the contract, get him going, or. It wasn't there. Now we clear out fully minimal amount of dead money hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's good to keep your options open as much as possible right now, because I, I don't think it's just a random variance that has made it so that a rookie head coach has never won a Super Bowl before. Right. Like there's a reason why a rookie head coach has never won a Super Bowl before. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's not that easy. You, you don't just show up and win the Super Bowl. So going all out to win the Super Bowl in 2024 is probably not a good idea. No, I think it makes more sense to be much patient in this process. I think you could do a little bit of aggression, Brendan, but you just have to, it's got to be very um, precise aggression rather right. than aggression across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, next restructure candidate. Uh, these last two are small ones, but worth discussing. You've got Jason Myers. You could convert 2.4 million to base across the last three years of his deal which would mean you save 1.6 million. Not not huge, not anything that's going to buy you anything big, but maybe you get to a point where you need the 1.6 million. So it's not a bad option to have, but would this be something that you're interested in doing? Or are you trying to keep your options on cutting Myers open ASAP? Keep my, well, I can't cut them this off season, but keep it open for next off season. So, yeah. you know, I, I would, I would want to do that on that side of it. Yeah. And final guy. And this one, uh, this one I would do, even though it doesn't really mean all that much because you're not saving much, but I like this guy so much. I got no issue with guaranteeing more of his money. It's Michael Dixon. You could convert $1.4 to base and save a little over $700,000. And Dixon's not going anywhere. And Dixon is undefeated. Never have to worry about that guy. He's going to be punting until he's 55. So you know what? Go ahead and extend him. Give him a lifetime contract. I don't care. But um, 
yeah, I mean, you could do this one if you really had to. Sure. I got no problem doing that. He ain't going nowhere and I got no issues. Not a big, big amount you're pushing to next year's cap at that point, like some of these other deals you would be doing if you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Dixon is not an every other year guy. Dixon is an every year, every week, every month, every game, every punt, every snap. He's good. Yeah. If, if, a, if a punter can be on a Hall of Fame trajectory, he's on it. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's it. That's everybody. Those are all the options I see to free up money. And if you take everything that we agreed on doing and add it all together, it was about $67 million cleared up. Now, Obviously, some of the stuff, especially the extensions, are not going to go exactly the way that we expected, but you're probably looking at somewhere around that range. Call it $60 million. and suddenly things don't look so bad, do they? No. Cap flexibility, man, and that's what it's down, down to, the ability to make the moves you want to make at the time you make and not be hindered by, we stuck ourselves to this, we stuck ourselves to that, we already spent on this, and um, that's what the team has done here is they've kept, they've given themselves good good cap flexibility to move if they want to do it. And like you say, first year coach, maybe not likely to do it, but also we don't know necessarily the look of where Schneider is at. When he uses words like underachieve, that means he has a little bit maybe of a different outlook on where he sees this team. Maybe the ownership has a different outlook of where they see this team and where it should be pushing forwards this year, this next season. And so uh, we'll have to just see which, what John does. He'll tell us by the moves, of course, the bottom line on this, but he has the, the ability to go a variety of different ways, tear it down to the studs, maximize as much cap, find a kind of happy middle ground. I think we end up somewhere in that neighborhood of probably creating out that 35, 36, 37 million dollars. That's about where you probably end up really lying at in the balance game. Uh, but that'll be enough. That'll be enough to put a really good team together, I think, even for next year. Right, right. Because again, the rookies are going to be cheap. We have our almost our full slot of picks. We did mm -hmm. lose the second rounder, but we got a third rounder back. So it almost so it's not far off from having a full slate of picks. And um, there are also there's also one other way to create cap space. If you have to do it, you can add void years to contracts and you can do that for pretty much anybody. Mm -hmm. You can just say we're going to move some cap to a year beyond your contract, which is not something we typically like to do. But if you have to do it, you can. And that's actually a way in which you can create a ton of cap space. Now, it's going to hurt like hell in a couple of years, but. You know, it, it might be worth it if you if you are able to get the right player with that cap space you create, then it could be worth it. Yeah, I think Schneider's really hesitant to do it, even in the year where he added the void years. Brendan, remember, he still held on to that cap space, so he didn't end up using it. He did the the moves when he did it really on that one year. He, he went hardcore with it, but. He's indicated he doesn't like doing that stuff. I'd be surprised to see this particular year them to pull that maybe in future years at the possibility. But I think this year it's much more unlikely based the bonus is really i think his ideal for going an alternative route to do the same kind of thing right so um i think we did good work i think we did good work as imaginary gms today i think that i don't think we did anything that anybody's going to be too upset about maybe the geno extension i guess but um you know I, I think there are also a lot of people out there who also get it so i think we did good work man yeah, I love what I got. I love the potential here, and I hope that they do clear some money because while we, I agree with you, unless the first-year coach, track record, all that, there is, I think, a unique opening here for being a first-time head coach, Brendan, that may be a bit of a different situation than normal head coaches. I think normal head coaches come into a place that's very talent-deprived, that there's not a winning culture in place, that there's not an, the right attitude in place, or they don't have the ownership in a, in a way of supporting them always, and that's why you're moving through coaches. We have, I think, a unique situation for a guy like McDonald to maybe come in 
and find some immediate success um, and not have to, again, sacrifice a lot of future to make it happen. You can just do a little bit of just kind of some creative moves, some straightforward things that are kind of no brainers and, and create that cap space to put yourself in that position to, to maybe get yourself two to three games better next year. That's right. All right. So that'll do it for this week's show. It was a great show. We got through everything that we needed to get through and talked all about it. So thank you everybody who showed up to watch today. Thank you to everybody who's watching on record. Uh, if you haven't already, please hit the like button on whichever stream you happen to be on. Hit the sub button on both whatever stream you happen to be on and maybe go over to the other stream and do the same thing. We will be back next week. And next week, we're going to open up the conversation, I believe, hopefully, by then, on a new offensive coordinator. But the meat of the show will consist of discussing these outgoing Seahawks free agents. What will it cost to keep them in, and should we pay the price? So that is next week. Brandon, thank you for coming in and doing this with me. My pleasure, brother. All right. So... We'll be meeting again before you know it, but this will do it for this week. And guys, um, it, it's a, a exciting time in Seahawks Nation. This new head coach bringing in a whole new coaching staff, bringing in coordinators, bringing in assistants. Feels like anything is possible all of a sudden. Last couple of years, I don't know if we really felt like anything was possible. We felt like there might have been a little bit of a roof on what was possible, but now anything feels possible. So that's worth something. The excitement that we feel right now is worth something. And I know a lot of you guys are feeling it. So let's hit it. Let's go into this weekend. Let's watch this Super Bowl. And let's move into the offseason officially and fully after it's done. So let's hit it. Let's get out of here. Let's go be the best fans that we can be. And let's get ready for the offseason with a Go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs>